guys. Here we go. Friday, May 26th, 2023. Hope you're having a great week. It is BK here, of course, coming at you from Pueblo, Colorado, 827 AM. I know, guys, it's hard to believe. I'm in the middle of this road trip. If you've been following me on Instagram at BK Actual or on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual, you probably see me throwing up a few pictures. Saw the old schoolhouse. I was not sure I was going to do the podcast, but I brought my equipment anyway, and now I got this gorilla rig going on in the hotel off the freeway. I hope you appreciate it. Who else is going to do this for you, you guys? They all have their, what, $50,000 studios and nonsense. I'm traveling around with the Forerunner. I've got the rig ready to go. You got to go to patreon.com and give it up and put in BK Actual. Come on, if, if, for nothing else but this, <laughs> if you guys know what I'm saying. So why don't we go ahead and get started here. And uh, I'm not sure how long I'm going to go. I'm going to try to do the, the full um, two and a half hours, but we'll, we'll see how we do because I'm kind of pressed for time in this hotel with the checkout time and all that shit. But let's start with our international news. And uh, I thought I'd start in Guyana. I don't think I've ever started there ever. And talk about this fire that basically burned down a uh, girl's dormitory. Yeah, this is in central Guyana. This killed at least 19 people. And this is the uh, this is a South American country, if you didn't know where Guyana was. And they said this was maliciously set, which is why it kind of piqued my interest. Uh, now, the ages of the victims are not immediately known. I didn't really do much of an update on this, but students enrolled at the school in Madia, which is a gold mining town, about 120 miles southwest of the capital of Georgetown, are between 12 and 18. Uh, if you're looking at a map, Guyana is east of Venezuela in uh, South America. So officials put the, originally they put the death toll at 20, but healthcare workers resuscitated one young girl who's still in critical condition. So, what caught my attention was the blaze broke out about 10:50 p.m. on Sunday. A female student was awakened by screams in the night. She saw a fire in the bathroom area that quickly spread to other parts of the building, but she was able to escape. So the Guyana Fire Service said that firefighters had broken holes in a wall of the building to rescue 20 students. And 14 victims died at the site of the blaze and five others at a hospital. Um, so they are also uh, they also had a pretty poor design. They had metal grills on the dormitory windows, which doesn't really help in trying to escape a burning fire. Uh, what else about the Guiana fire? Um, yeah, the, the, the crazy part about it, the person they're blaming is one of the teenagers and she was mad because her cell phone had been taken away. <laughs> so she kills 19 friggin' people. Yeah, this is an update and the national security advisor of Guyana told the Associated Press that the, pu that the suspect who is a pupil at the school was accused of setting the dorm on fire, and she was disciplined. She had her phone taken away because she was being disciplined, and it was over having what they call a liaison with an older man. Yeah, they had something called a dorm mother there. 
And yeah, dude, the dorm had been locked, by the way, also to stop the girls from sneaking out at night. What the hell is going on down there in Guyana? Yeah, the pupil herself, who was accused of lighting the fire, she apparently is okay. Well, it's hard to say. It says that she's under police supervision in the hospital. And by the way, yes, the liaison was of a sexual nature. Police are looking to charge the man she was seeing with statutory rape. So this has become a national tragedy in Guyana. President Irfan Ali has declared three days of mourning. Yeah, dude, these kids are out. I mean, you take away their phone. You guys have all seen the social media videos, right? Of these kids going friggin' nuts in school when their phones are taken away. It's 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 like it, it they you could take off one of their fingers and they probably wouldn't freak out as much. Let's keep going with some grim stories and go to Japan, where a man armed with a rifle and a knife killed two women and two police officers on Thursday in the central Japanese city of Nakano before fleeing and barricading himself inside a home for several hours. So this is really weird in Japan because gun-related homicides and indeed any gun incident is really rare. Of course, they have laws that govern the purchase and ownership of firearms and uh, they are among the strictest in the world. So the attacker reportedly told a witness he, quote, wanted to kill, end quote, and then he stabbed a woman before opening fire on two police officers arriving at the scene. Hmm. The police said the suspect was eventually captured early Friday morning after retreating into a house close to the city center. Now the home, oh, belonged to a local elected official who the Japanese public broadcaster NHK identified as the suspect's father. The police confirmed late Thursday that two women had escaped from the home. So on Friday, NHK identified the suspect as a 31-year-old farmer named Masanori Aoki and said he had been arrested on a murder charge in connection with the death of one of the police officers. More charges are expected. So a witness told uh, NHK she was working in a field when a young woman ran towards him, pleading for help as the man wearing camouflage, a hat, and a mask chased after her. The man then stabbed her in the back, causing her to fall down, and then stabbed her again in the chest. Well, the witness helpfully asked the guy why he was doing this. And the witness told the broadcaster, quote, he answered, I killed her because I wanted to kill, end quote. The suspect left the scene but returned with a rifle after two police officers arrived in a response to the stabbing. Holding the muzzle against the window of their police car, the suspect shot twice and fled the scene again. Crazy, dude. Yeah, the stabbing of woman in public and the killing of police officers, this is an extremely rare event. Uh, and, you know, basically a direct attack on police is a direct attack on authority in general. And that's what, you know, Japan is, is not the type of people to question the local authorities. And this is coming off, uh, you guys will recall, the assassination of former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Remember, he was fatally shot with that homemade, like, shotgun last year. 
uh, some statistics. In all of 2022, in Japan, which has a population of 125 million people, nine gun-related incidents were reported. Four people died in all of 2022 from gun crime in that period. Uh, Firearms are not permitted in the country with exceptions for hunting. To obtain a license, a person must go through a 12-step process, which is a very laborious and expensive process that very few people undertake. What does that process entail? Uh, A gun safety class, passing a written exam, getting a doctor to sign off on the physical and mental health of the gun buyer. Gun buyers must additionally pass an extensive background check and a police inspection of the gun safe and ammunition locker used to store the weapons. Okay. All of those are things that will never happen in America. (laughs) Gotta love it. Let us go to El Salvador and talk about the stampede in the soccer state. What is it with soccer and deaths? Every time, every time you see a story, it's like a sporting event, even if you didn't know it, right? If somebody's come up to you and say, hey, what would be your guess of what sporting event it was where dozens of people were killed? Your first answer is always soccer, right? Or football, if you prefer. Fucking constantly. It's gotten a lot better since, like, you know, the... 70s and 80s, but still 12 people died and about 90 others were injured in a stampede at a soccer stadium in El Salvador. This is about a week ago. This was a highly anticipated match and uh, turned into chaos, of course. You guys saw some of the videos circulating on Twitter and others. And you could see dozens of people clad in white appearing to rush towards an exit at the stadium with some lying on the ground as more pile on top. This was at uh, Cuscatlan Stadium in San Salvador, which is the capital of El Salvador, where the first league soccer teams, Alianza Football Club and Club Deportivo, FAS, were playing the uh, second round of a quarterfinal. They're uh, still looking into it. I didn't do an update, you guys. <laughs> Let me quickly jump. I'm not going to lie. I sped through prepping today. This is not going to be, I'm not promising that this is going to be one of my all-time banger podcasts. And I have my uh, ghetto ass headphones in. Can't really hear, see or uh, hear myself too well. So I'm just saying this week, guys, don't expect a lot. All right. And, you know, I, I normally I take pride in it and probably shouldn't have done it, but I like to show up when I can, unless I absolutely cannot. So uh, don't expect a lot here. Now, now that I've pumped you up with that, anything else about this? Um, they're looking into possible causes. The large number of people attending the game may have caused the stadium's Wi-Fi to malfunction, which in turn could have led to a problem with scanning QR codes on tickets. That ticketing problem possibly could have led to hundreds of people being stuck at the southern gate of the stadium trying to get in. And uh, police director also said that some fans had also forced their way into the stadium through the southern gate where those who buy cheaper tickets typically enter. Yeah, like I said, man, this has been going on in soccer. Recently, uh, as we covered here in the podcast, last October, you guys remember that one in uh, Malang, Indonesia? At least 125 people died, dude. Yep. The uh, president of El Salvador, you guys know him uh, for his love of Bitcoin and putting MS-13 people in prison, Naib Bukele, said in a statement that, quote, everyone will be investigated, vato, teams, managers, stadium, ticket office, league, federation, etc. 
whoever the culprits are, they will not go unpunished, as he, end quote. And that's a spot-on impression of the president. Anything else on this? Uh, yeah, a lot of people injured, but uh, most of the ones injured at least sound like they're going to be okay. All right, very good. What else? Oh, a lot of you guys sent me this one, including, shout out to my listeners in Australia, some in law enforcement out there sent me this one. Let's talk about Claire Nowland. And who is she? She is the 95-year-old woman in Australia who died days after a police officer used a stun gun on her. Yeah, and uh, they are announcing charges against the officer who used the stun gun to repel her when she approached him while holding a steak knife. Okay, clearly, Nowland had dementia. She, uh, in addition to being 95 years old, she weighed 95 pounds. So a senior constable used the stun gun on her in the care facility where she lived. She fell, fractured her skull, passed away in the hospital. Now, the officer who used the weapon is 33-year-old Christian White. He has 12 years' experience as a police officer, and he is going to be charged, has been charged, with recklessly causing grievous bodily harm, assault occasioning actual bodily harm, and common assault. So this happened on May 17th, and it's kind of trickling out. And they came to the Yallamby Lodge nursing home. And they got a report of a resident with a knife. Now, you know, that's the thing as a cop. You hear a call. You got a call. You're going into someone with a knife. You're already on edge. So I get it. So she had apparently taken a serrated edge steak knife from the kitchen. Um, attempts to negotiate her with her with her had been unsuccessful. And she didn't drop the knife. Now, White has not been charged with murder or manslaughter. This episode was caught on body camera, by the way. And um, it's possible that charges could be adjusted. I, I can see charges being downgraded here, guys. Now, I'm not going to lie. You know, it always sounds easy. Like, And, and one of you guys um, who DM'd me, you know, you, you uh, said you trained cops on taser use. And, and this is like one of the first things you do is that, you know, you, don't, you tell them you don't use it on somebody very old or very frail because you could kill them. And I get it. And uh, and to my Australian law enforcement listeners who messaged me about this as well, you said, and, and they were all mad at this cop because you're like, you just gave us a horrible name and all that. I get it. I'm not going to exactly defend it, but I guess I sort of am. Like I said, you get a call about someone with a knife. You don't know that it's a 95-year-old. Then you get there. Now, I have not, in, and I'm also speaking of a place of ignorance because I have not watched the video. Uh the, the, the problem I have with this, we've taken away a lot of tools from police officers as far as restraint. Like, what's the guy supposed to do when she won't drop the knife then? Are you going to, like, I, I know you, you should get a couple cops, ideally, and I guess just rush her, or, like, what do you, what do, you do? Uh, like, I would, like, creep up behind her and, like, throw her in the old chokehold, but, you know, you can't do that anymore. And yes, you'd like to think that a couple able-bodied male police officers could come up on each side. But, you know, she's an old lady with dementia, dude. She could still swing a knife and hit your neck. I know everybody's like, well, she's 95. How could you do this? She's all frail. 
I don't care how frail you are, dude. It just takes one flick of a knife in a neck area to hit your fucking jug, jugular vein, and you're done. So, I mean, a taser did seem to be the optimal thing, but uh, they didn't do it. They they didn't follow the manufacturer's recommendations against using it, and uh, it's it's too bad. It's a sad story. I mean, if I had my way, I would reinstitute. You know, all police officers would be giving it would be given extensive martial arts training and on choking and locks and stuff like that. But they're not allowed, not allowed to do a lot of that stuff. And if you take her down, right? You have like one burly dude just like do like a full on Terry Tate linebacker just from the side, right? And like that, just blow her up. But like that's the, the tackler of the ground. That's going to like break her in half. I'm just saying, I would love, and I'm not condoning it. I think it was stupid. Yes, a couple of big cops could have easily handled this. But at the same time, I do love like all the activists who come out. And because all these activists are like academic wieners who've never been in a fight in their life. They've never been in a threatening situation in their life. And I would love to ask them, like, okay, talk me through how you would handle that, just to see what they say. You know what, guys, know what I'm saying? So while I'm not, while, yes, I think they could handle it differently, I'm getting tired of these people always bashing the cops for, like, oh, well, you could have done this, this, and this, and you could have shot him in the kneecap and all this crap. And it's like, let's see you fucking do it. And actually, they've done that a few times. That's why a lot of police departments in America, at least, I don't know if they do this in other countries, a lot of police departments have those simulators, right? Where, you know, you're, you know, it's like a screen, you're standing in like a three-dimensional screen and you have to address a threat. And they invite, like journalists who criticize them, they invite them, they're like, okay, come on down, we're going to punch up a crazy guy with a knife on meth really quick and we're going to watch you deal with it. And the journalists always come away like, holy shit, dude, I had no idea. So, but definitely could have uh, handled that better, I think. Okay, let's do some good old Russia, Ukraine. Since uh, honestly, guys, there wasn't a lot in the news this week that I was interested in. And it's also weird because normally, like throughout the week when I'm home in San Diego, because of, you know, you guys help me out with sending me stuff. And you're always, and I'm always like checking out Twitter to see what's like kind of going on. Well, on the road trip, I kind of check out from all that stuff. So, like, I missed a lot of stuff. <laughs> and, if I, and if I miss it, I mean, I see the headline when I'm prepping. I don't really, like, feel that comfortable talking about it. But it is uh, interesting. I can definitely tell the difference when I've been plugged in, so to speak, into social media that week and when I've been kind of checked out. Uh, interesting stuff. Let's go to, though, Russia, Ukraine, and start with uh, Sleepy Joe. Big announcement. He announced more aid for Ukraine. As the G7, as you know, uh, met the other week. Uh, but yes, Biden announced another $375 million in artillery, ammunition, and other arms for Ukraine. And of course, uh, you guys recall from last week, Zelensky not only hit the G7, he hit the Arab League and uh, everything else. I'm just going to click on the live updates page. You probably saw a deadly missile hit a medical clinic in uh, Ukraine, that was in the central Ukrainian city of Dnipro, D-N-I-P-R-O. Killed at least two people. Uh, a couple other things. Russian forces blew up a dam. This is apparently the use of flooding as a war tactic. 
The United States condemns a deal in now allowing Moscow to deploy nuclear weapons in Belarus. And uh, what else? You know, the war is just bogged down. It's not going anywhere. What about the uh, old Wagner group? Well, I think I told you guys last week that pretty much Bakhmut is pretty much a done deal. And Russia has kind of declared victory over it. And then, you know, Ukraine, Ukrainians were claiming, well, we still have got like five guys in one burnt out apartment complex. Like it's going to make a difference. But uh, the Wagner mercenary force say they are leaving Bakhmut and they're turning it over to the Russian army. So the Russian army now is going to have to try to hold on to it without the help of the Wagner group. And of course, they've grown enormously dependent on the Wagner group. Wagner's leader, our buddy Yevgeny Prigozhin, suggested that Russia's regular soldiers can expect no more help from Wagner Group, at least not in Bakhmut. In a three-minute video, Prigozhin is shown visiting what he says are Wagner positions in the city and telling his fighters to hand them over to Russian troops. Uh, great quote here. Quote, leave them soap, but take away your toothbrushes. End quote. Huh. All right, thank you for that tip. Uh, let's see here. Let's see if they can defend Bakhmut against Ukrainian forces, who, by the way, are still on the city's outskirts and are apparently preparing to launch a counteroffensive. They will see. Now, Ukraine has conceded that despite the firepower devoted to hold Bakhmut, where tens of thousands are believed to have died, Russia now controls nearly the entire city. Uh, this is just a fucking human tragedy, dude. Like all these, like why would and then the people who like, it's become so bizarre to me that the most ferocious people in, in this war are the people who don't want any peace process at all. And I get it, dude. You know, no, Ukraine should not have to give up part of their country. But after a while, dude, how much longer are you going to go on? You're going to send uh, so to the and and the people defending this are the same ones who are like screaming about us in Iraq. Well, and deservedly, looking back on it, I don't know how you just flip like that to becoming like that anti-war to that like, I'm not going to say pro-war. I'm not going to even say pro-Ukraine. It's, I guess they're pro-Ukraine. I'm just spitballing here. You guys know what I'm trying to say? It's just very bizarre to me. Like every time somebody's like, hey, Ukraine should sit down with Russia and start talking about ending this, and like you are, if you say that out loud, you are viciously attacked by a bunch of self-identified left wingers. Like, oh, you're a Kremlin agent. You're a Putin stooge. No, I would rather not see tens of thousands of young men being killed like every few months. I mean, that this is like stag. This is in Iraq, Afghanistan. This is like ten thousand people a month dying at least. Like killed, not even a casualty, because you guys know, if you didn't know, a casualty means both those killed and those wounded. Some people don't know that. So when you see 100,000 casualties, that includes dead and wounded. But it's just, it's staggering to me. I mean, we would never tolerate this in America. And I continue to believe that the if somebody decides to step up to the plate and put one in the back of Putin's head, this whole thing would come to an end. Because other than him, really, do you think anybody has the stomach for this? I do not. Uh, another headline here, Russia claims Bakhmut, but some see a Pyrrhic victory. Well, yeah, like I've told you the whole time. What, do you, what, you got the city, uh, you, got, you have your victory 
go claim your acres of rubble and burnt trees. Sounds that's that's really cool. And uh, remember the old uh, Kremlin drone attack from a few weeks ago? Did yeah, you remember all the dopes <laughs> saying that it was a false flag and that Russia did them to themselves? Well, U.S. officials, yes, are saying the drone attack don't drone attack on the Kremlin earlier this month was likely orchestrated by one of Ukraine's special military or intelligence units. And this is the latest in a series of covert actions against Russian targets. That, by the way, we are not uh, apparently too happy with. Us being the, uh, we being the uh, United States government. Now, U.S. intelligence agencies do not know which unit carried out the attack. It's unclear whether President Volodymyr Zelensky or his top officials were aware of that operation. Oh, come on. Of course, they know... Now, they reached the, the U.S. officials kind of reached this assessment in part through intercepted communications in which Russian officials blamed Ukraine and other communications in which Ukrainian officials said they believed their country was responsible for the attack. Remember, that was on May 3rd. Two drones were flown towards the Kremlin. One of them hit. It didn't really cause a lot of damage. Uh, anything else about that? Let's see here. Oh, you guys know that we, the United States, is by far Ukraine's biggest supplier of military equipment. And uh, it's not making us too happy. The Biden administration is concerned about the risk that Russia will blame U.S. officials and retaliate by expanding the war beyond Ukraine. And yes, we also believe the Ukrainians were responsible for the assassination of the daughter of that prominent Russian nationalist, uh, the Dugina chick, and the killing of that pro-Russian blogger, and the number of attacks in Russian towns near the border with Ukraine. Um, and, by the way, Ukrainian American officials also view the attack on the Nord Stream pipeline as the work of pro-Ukrainian operatives. Hmm. <laughs> Wonder who helped them. Do, do you guys think that pro-Ukrainian operatives, because that implies that they are Ukrainian kind of, you think pro-Ukrainian operatives have the expertise to attach explosives hundreds of feet under the water? I don't think so. What else? Let's see. Anything else about... Uh, is that all I have? Yeah, that's pretty much all I have. Uh, let me just uh, say this, though. I told you guys about the G7, and that was wrapping up. Uh, but uh, now... Beijing and Moscow are holding their own visits this week. And uh, this is seen as interesting because alarm is growing in China that Western countries backing Ukraine are turning their attention to Asia. So um, what else is the... I'm just looking about details about this meeting here. Yeah, Moscow and Beijing are reinforcing their relationship by holding security... And trade talks, Prime Minister Mikhail Misustin of Russia is leading a delegation of business tycoons on a visit to China. And we'll see if they get a little bit closer. As the Communist Party newspaper, the Global Times, wrote on Monday, the United States is trying to, quote, replicate the Ukraine crisis end quote, in the Asia-Pacific region. And by doing so, the Chinese argument goes, Washington could then 
wage a proxy war against China like it is with Russia. And then they'd have to be looking at the formation of an Asia-Pacific version of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, right? So in other words, China is like, well, they're going to encircle us just like NATO slowly encircled Russia. And that's what they are afraid of. And, you know, China was already pissed off because the G7 was, the, was hosted by Japan. Of course, Japan and China have deep-seated historical animosity. And Chinese state media was uh, smacking Tokyo all week, accusing them of doing the, quote, United States' bidding and inflating the, quote, China threat, end quote. So Japan can then amend their constitution to build up their military again for the first time since World War II. Yeah, I wonder how that would go. Like, you know, China's got that sort of military. I'm sorry, Japan does. But, like, I don't know. Japan is a lot different now than they were 100 years ago. Like, you know, you think of the modern Japanese male, you know, he's fucking sitting in his uh, six-foot-by-six-foot apartment, staring at a screen all day. He's got his uh, robot anime girlfriend eating noodles, ordering takeout. I don't know. Are there still... Do you guys still think they're the Japanese warrior types? Well, we'll see if they get that military started back up again. Let's talk about uh, the former prime minister of the UK, Boris Johnson. He has been referred to police mm. by a government office to assess claims that he may have further violated coronavirus regulations. Oh, for Christ's sakes. You guys remember that it happened? Boris Johnson uh, had all kinds of criticism because he had those gatherings at his residence and government offices during the strict coronavirus lockdowns, which his government implemented in 2020 and 2021. That scandal soon came to be known as Partygate. I will once again ask to if we can fucking come up with a different name for scandals other than playing it off Watergate. It's been, what, 50 friggin' years since Watergate? Do we still have to attach the gate to everything and that's the name when there's a scandal? Come on. Uh, anyway... Uh, so, at a parliamentary hearing in March over whether he lied to lawmakers about lockdown-busting parties, Johnson denied being untruthful but struggled to justify some of the misleading statements he made. That's <laughs> a, a torture. Yeah, he lied about it, which he, which he would. Uh, so, now the update is uh, the Metropolitan Police said they were assessing information they'd received from the Cabinet Office last week that, quote, relates to potential breaches of the health protection regulations between June 2020 and May 2021 at Downing Street. End quote. Is, 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 don't they have anything fucking better to do than this? Oh, God. There's something that's called COVID-19 bereaved families for justice. And uh, they're speaking out. And, you know... They're like, oh, this uh, makes a mockery of Johnson's claim that he didn't break his own lockdown rules. Okay, who cares? I'm sorry your family member died. The rest of us have to move on. Okay, the rest of us have to live. I'm sorry. Let's go to Seoul, Korea. This was uh, just happening. Well, this is the, this is like the worst nightmare. Passenger opens exit door during airplane flight in South Korea. Twelve people slightly injured. 
I thought you couldn't open those doors. Like, aren't they armed? Yeah, passenger opened an emergency exit door during a plane flight in South Korea on Friday, today. Obviously, they're ahead of us. But it did cause air to blast inside the cabin and slightly injure 12 people. The plane did land safely. This was an Asiana Airlines Airbus A321. So some people did try to stop the person. I don't have a gender. I'm assuming it's a man. I always do, but... You never know these days. But he was still able to, par- they were still able to partially open the door. The person was detained by airport police. No identity, no motive yet. But there is a law bat- barring passengers from handling exit doors and other equipment on board. Yeah, I friggin' hope so. Provides penalties for up to 10 years in prison. This is, a, there was 194 people on this flight and it was all in um, Korea was headed to the southeastern city of Daegu from the southern city of Jeju. The flight is normally about an hour. And the incident occurred when the plane was coming down to the airport and they were at an altitude of about 700 feet. So it was while they were landing. Yeah, there was a video taken by a person on board. Showed some passengers' hair being whipped by the air blowing into the cabin through the open door. People started like screaming, "Dude, that'd be be super. That's like a nightmare." But yeah, I thought I thought like once they're armed, like it's not possible to open those doors while the plane's in flight, or maybe it was like low enough to unarm or something. I don't know. You plane guys, you pilot guys, tell me that. Okay, let's go back. Here to America for a moment uh, and talk about uh, Ron DeSantis. Yeah, that's right. He's in the race. Very exciting. Everybody knew it a long time ago. But uh, the the thing people are remembering now is the Twitter announcement because Ron DeSantis decided to make his announcement that he's running for president officially on Twitter spaces. If you guys don't know what Twitter spaces is, Think of it as like a conference call, but it's audio only, and it's all streams through Twitter. And you can see who's on the call. You can't see their faces, but you can see their little avatars and everything, and, and, and that's kind of how it works. So think, just think of it as a modern-day conference call, audio only. And, yeah, they, they kind of cut in, cut out, you know, and, of course, everybody hates Elon Musk, the Twitter boss, and so there was much mockery. And... um. <laughs> Elon Musk, I guess what happened was it started with a moment of silence when the Twitter space came on. And then a voice cut in. Musk kind of came in and out. Somebody said it's quiet. David Sachs was the moderator. And he said, quote, we got so many people here that we are kind of melting these servers, end quote. Uh, but th- that's, that's debatable. And a lot of people were kicked off. I mean, there were hundreds of thousands of people listening. But for the first 25 minutes, the only person not talking was DeSantis. So it was glitchy. But you know what? Yeah, I give, I give him credit. At 6.26 p.m., DeSantis finally announced himself long after his campaign had announced his intentions. Reading from uh, a little bit of a script, uh, he said, quote, Well, I'm running for the President of the United States to lead our great American comeback. And... Uh, yeah, so I think it was goofy a little bit, and it's unfortunate to happen. But I, I do agree. You know, he was trying to do something different. You know, 
and and the legacy media, of course, they're going to viciously criticize this because they're in a death spiral. Nobody cares about them anymore. Nobody trusts journalism. Nobody on the left wing or the right wing. Nobody trusts modern journalism. They are um, 23-year-olds with an axe to grind, all these so-called journalists. They know nothing. They just take everything at face value. They don't know how to investigate anything, and they're not very intelligent. So DeSantis was trying to stick it to him a little bit, and he's like, hey, I'm going to try this Twitter thing, and it didn't go bad. It, it was glitchy. You know, shit happens. I give him credit for trying to do something different. Um, but, you know, you are, at the same time, it's like you're running for president of the United States. Don't really want to go too glitchy on that, but whatever. I think, of course, they're, you know, they ever, the media hates both of them with a passion, DeSantis and Musk, so this was like a perfect storm of hate for them. Uh, so I understand it. Now, the funny thing is Twitter's head of engineering uh, quit one, the next day. A guy named Fouad Dabiri. Yeah. He tweeted it. He tweeted out, quote, after almost four incredible years at Twitter, I decided to leave the next day. End quote. And he had said the October purchase of Twitter by Musk had made the work, quote, challenging end quote, but said he'd learned a lot from the experience. He did not go into detail why he was leaving, but it was embarrassing on Wednesday night when Twitter was unable to kind of do all that and and David Sachs and Elon Musk jumping into the hot mics and et cetera, et cetera. And at least 500,000 people logged on to try and listen when it started. But by the time it actually got underway, only about half that number was still there. So, not great, but hey, you know what? Like I said, uh, I have a few stories about here. I have some audio clips from it in a moment. Yeah, <laughs> there were lots of headlines about this. Breitbart News titled it a debacle. Get it? D-E-B-A-C-L-E, like DeSantis. There's a lot of play on words like that. The Daily Mail called it a disaster. Fox News also called it a disaster. So... Really good. And the DeSantis campaign, by the way, said they raised $8.2 million in the first 24 hours as a presidential campaign. That is, if you don't know if that's good or not, that is a humongous number. Um, If you're wondering how it compares, in 2019, Joe Biden, in his first 24 hours as a presidential candidate, raised $6.3 million. Oh, my God, he got this much? <laughs> Here's a blast from the past, guys. You remember my man, former Representative Minton O'Rourke? <coughs> he, he got $6.1 million in 2019 in his first 24 hours as a candidate. <laughs> what kind of fucking idiot? Are you kidding me, dude? You gave $6.1 million to Beto. I am muy tired. You gave $6.1 million to Beto O'Rourke. How stupid are you? Full disclosure, you guys, I have never given a single dime to any political candidate in my life, and I don't know anybody who has. That is shocking to me. It's crazy. Oh, by the way, let me butt in here again uh, as far as technically... Uh, like a couple months ago when I was in DC and did the podcast there, I have my travel, like these cheap ass earbud headphones. 
I can't really hear myself too well, and it's like different. It's a much different sound in my head. So I hope um, I hope everything sounds okay. You guys let me know in the DMs. I asked that last time I wore these, and you guys said everything was good to go. So I trusted them again. Uh, but I, I just I hope it's all right. Uh, anything else about DeSantis? Let me get to some of the... Well, before I get to the audio clips, here's one thing about DeSantis. You know what's funny? He pronounces his name differently sometimes. And it's a um, it's it's a thing with him. And not just him, with other people. I've probably pronounced his name several different times. So, like, like this has happened before, a little bit with people with hard-to-pronounce names. Like, first example, Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg. He sold T-shirts to supporters of his 2020 presidential campaign. God, people supported him. That had instructions on how to pronounce his surname. And um, this year in Wisconsin Supreme Court election, a woman named Janet ran ads showing people mangling her Polish name. I'm not even going to... Let me try to pronounce this last name, the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Janet Protasiewicz, but it's P-R-O-T-A-S-I-E-W-I-C-Z. So here's what here's what Ron DeSantis did when he was sworn in for a second term as governor in January. He said, "I Ron DeSantis." But then this month he began a video for the National Day of Prayer by saying, "I'm Governor Ron DeSantis." So is it DeSantis or DeSantis? I mean, it's not like a a big deal, but as he, when he was on the Twitter Spaces and an interview on Fox News. He twice invited supporters to visit, quote, rondesantis.com. But in his first campaign video, he introduced himself by saying, quote, I'm Ron DeSantis, end quote. <laughs> Stupid. All right, pick one, buddy. Okay, a couple, uh, couple audio clips here for you. Um, let's start. This is from uh, Ron DeSantis. And let me see here. You know, people have been, like, bashing Florida, right? Talking about book bans and all this other shit. So he's talking about the book ban thing here. Let's take a listen to this. Maybe I've never heard from you before. And then I want to pull Chris Rufo in on this as well. Yeah, so the whole book ban thing is a hoax. There's not been a single book banned in this the is state DeSantis. of Florida. You can go buy or, or use whatever book you want. What we have done is empowered parents with the ability to review the curriculum, to know what books are being used in school, and then to ensure that those books match state standards and are age and developmentally appropriate. So for example, uh, parents have flagged books in schools that, uh, for example, teach middle school kids how to use sex apps uh, that provide graphic depictions of sex acts and sex toys for people mm. as young as fifth grade. And so clearly that is not appropriate uh, to be in a middle school classroom. And so parents object and, and the schools take them out. Um, I did a press conference that we called exposing the book ban hoax. And before I had the parents come up, before I spoke, I just played the video that had the images of the books that the parents had objected being in their kid's classroom. And the local news had to cut the feed because they said it was too graphic. That's true. Well, that it's happened. too graphic for the six o'clock news. How is it okay for a six? Okay. Or you know, what? I, like, I, I hate that we've like what Ron DeSantis should be talking about is jobs, the economy, foreign policy, stuff you want the president to talk about. Right. But he's been, he really likes to go. I think he really like secretly enjoys his culture war battles. 
A word about these book bans. You know, like stupid Gavin Newsom in Cal- my, my stupid governor. You know, he's always going after DeSantis. He tweeted about book bans, right? And none of the stupid media, when Gavin Newsom is up there talking about, oh, God, can you believe they're, getting, they're banning books in Florida? First of all, they're not banned. They're available to anybody who wants to go get them, just not in your fucking elementary school kids' library. And second of all, no reporter asked Gavin Newsom, Governor, have you seen the books that uh, he's removing from elementary school? Uh, here's one, Governor. Here, here's there's it's a kind of there's there's uh, illustrations in it, Governor. This illustration shows a uh, young boy with his mouth around another young boy's penis, Governor. Do you think that's appropriate, Governor? Would you have your young children read this book? And nobody ever challenge, nobody ever talks it challenges them on it. Drives me friggin' nuts. What else about DeSantis do I have for him? Uh, for you. Well, this is funny. So the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, they decided they weren't getting enough attention, so they issued a Florida travel advisory joining Latino and LGBT groups. Yeah, they said that uh, under Governor Ron DeSantis, the state has become, quote, openly hostile towards African Americans, people of color, and LGBTQ plus individuals, end quote. And now, this does not explicitly recommend against travel to Florida, but it urges travelers to be aware of the state's politics. And the organization continued in the statement saying that, quote, the governor and the state of Florida have shown that African Americans are not welcome in the state of Florida, end quote. It's idiotic. (laughs) How many black dudes are in Florida? Many. Uh, He actually addressed this in his Twitter space did Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, let's listen to this clip from the governor. Last week, uh, the NAACP issued a travel advisory against your state, claiming that Florida is not a safe place for minorities to visit. Uh, what do you say to those who've been advised that somehow they aren't welcome in your state? Claiming that Florida is unsafe is a total farce. I mean, are you kidding me? You look at cities around this country, they are awash in crime. In Florida, our crime rate is at a 50-year low. You look at the top 25 cities for crime in America, Florida does not have a single one amongst the top 25. And if you look at cities like Baltimore and Chicago, you got kids more likely to get shot than to receive a first-class education. Yet I don't see the NAACP batting an eye about all the outrage and the carnage that's happening in those areas. So this is a political stunt. These left-wing groups have been doing it for many, many years. And at the end of the day, what they're doing is colluding with legacy media to try to manufacture a narrative. Now, the good... Yeah, let me stop there. I agree with them 100% on that. I mean, we all know that the black uh, groups don't really care unless they can get some money out of it. It's uh, the civil rights grifter industry is long and prosperous. And, yeah, the NAACP issued that warning because Ron DeSantis doesn't have uh, second graders learning that all white people are racist. That's why they issued the warning. Now, they don't care about the actual, like he said, they don't actually care about crime. As a matter of fact, let's listen to the head of the NAACP, Derek Johnson, and he's on CNN here. And uh, they kind of said, like, well, uh, he got data 
showing Florida leading the nation in Black-owned businesses. So let's hear this clip. Here. ask you uh, your comments on this. The Florida Chamber of Commerce uh, sensing in a statement about the advisory that the NAACP that you all sent out. Um, and here's, here's sort of what it says. Regarding the national group's notice to certain travelers, we have no comment. However... On the economic diversification front, in just the last few years, Florida has moved into the number one spot in the United States for black-owned businesses and number two for Hispanic and number two for women-owned businesses as well. When you hear those numbers, uh, what they are saying is, look, African-Americans and Hispanics are doing quite well here when it comes to running their own businesses and being able to make money here uh, and being able to live decent lives. How do you how do you address that with this new ban? First of all, that's propaganda language. Over the last several years, it wasn't because of anything he did in policy. Florida, by geography, is an attractive place where people would like to go. But he's fighting the largest company in the state with Disney around tourism. They just pulled out a billion dollars. He is minimizing the quality of education by taking away the diversity for children to learn. What? He has he has sought to cause harm by saying that every citizen could carry guns without permit. Those are not business attractive policies. Those are regressive policies that that that's going to hit a dead end. So you can spin the whatever language you would like to have the policies that he has put in place are harmful policies to far too many individuals. And I can tell you what Disney has been doing, what we have this call for, it is a trend that's about to that about to pick up, not slow down. What? Okay, they can barely understand the guy. His connection was bad. I, I give credit to the journal, for the reporter, the anchor there, for at least confronting him on that. Notice how he doesn't actually address that, you know? And when's the last time you heard Derek Johnson? What he's really he's really concerned about guns. Have you heard Derek? Have you heard of Derek Johnson ever? Have you heard him talking about the thousands of young black men killed every year in by other black men in Baltimore, D.C., Baton Rouge, etc. No, I never heard. Of, I never hear this guy speak up when it's that. And uh, I just thought this one was funny. <laughs> this here's another. This is some kind of Democratic activist. I never heard of her. Asia Mills. But I think uh, I just saw the, the description of this and I thought I'd play it because it sounds like it's over the top hysteria. Let's listen to Aisha this. Aisha Mills, Basil is still with us. Um, Aisha, this is, I have talked for seven years about the asymmetry of covering Trumpism in America, something so audacious what does that mean? and so what unimaginable is that the normal ways of rapidly responding are inadequate. This seems to address that asymmetry and um, and say, I, I, I got this. What do you think? I think it was extremely clever, um, and, and I really appreciate the NAACP's guidance uh, on this issue. <laughs> you know, I just took my family to, to spring break in Florida oh. recently, and I think about all of the folks who traveled there for sun and joy um, and peace and restoration, and to be reminded that actually this is getting to the point where Florida is about to be a terrorist state to, to many of us here <laughs> in America, certainly as a lesbian, as a black woman. I don't want to have anything to do with the place um okay. and i think about all the other people who don't want to travel there either yeah, so. no no nobody nobody is like you nobody is going to not travel to florida okay crazy lady it's a terrorist state <laughs> ah, too funny oh and and just to put the uh cream on the cake here cream on the cake frosting and oh, that sounded bad frosting on the cake Jeez, don't be putting your cream on the cake for christ's sakes uh the funny thing is 
the NAACP chairman. Uh, he lives in Tampa, Florida. That's different than the 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 president, who is the other dope I play. But 73-year-old Leon Russell, he's the NAACP's chairman. He lives in Tampa, Florida. His And for his entire adult life. <laughs> the NAACP co-chair and a member of their board also... Uh, takes his vacations in Clearwater, Florida. Constant. They've got tons of pictures. All, a bunch of people were pulling up all their tweets and everything else and uh, to, to embarrass them. And they should be embarrassed because it's uh, idiotic. Uh, let's just continue, as long as I'm talking about politics, a few other things. Tim Scott, the Republican senator, has announced he is going to run for president. Uh, Tim Scott is, of course, the senator from South Carolina. He is African-American himself. He was the first black Republican senator from the South in more than a century. So, if you didn't know about Tim Scott, just a few things. He was elected to Congress during the Tea Party wave of 2010 to represent South Carolina's first district. He was previously an insurance agent. He did serve on the Charleston County Council and in the South Carolina House. So just two years after winning his U.S. House seat, he was appointed to the Senate to replace Jim DeMint. And the woman who appointed him was Nikki Haley, then the governor of South Carolina, and who was also in the race for the Republican presidential nomination. He quickly gained national attention because, you know, being the the uh, fifth black person and the first from the South to serve in the Senate since Reconstruction. He was raised by a single mother and was a failing student before meeting a Chick-fil-A owner who mentored him and taught him conservative values. So he won the special election in 2014 to fill the remainder of DeMint's term, and then he was elected to a full term in 2016 and re-elected in 2022 by wide margins. Um, so, yeah, you know, Tim Scott, I like Tim Scott. I, I don't think he's a person for this time. You know, this is a more combative time. And Tim Scott's one of these, we all need to come together, Republicans. Like Joe Biden. Remember Joe Biden was like, I'm going to heal the country. Like, nobody's healing anything, bro. We're fundamentally different. I want to get more people to outvote your side. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at with it. And I'm going to make that argument over and over again. Tim Scott, I don't know. He doesn't seem like, he seems like he just wants everybody to like, you know, Let's all be friends. Like, we're not going to be friends, okay? Nobody's going to be friends. We're, nobody's coming together. <laughs> I keep trying to tell you guys that. Uh, here he is announcing his presidential run, though, on CNN. There we, we go. We live in the land of opportunity. We live in the land where it is absolutely possible for a kid raised in poverty in a single-parent household in a small apartment to one day serve in the people's house and maybe even the White House. <laughs> this, this is the greatest nation on God's green earth. Today I'm thinking back to my grandfather, born in 1921 in Sally, South Carolina, in the Deep South. By the time he was in the third grade, he was forced out of school, his education was over, and he was forced to start picking cotton. But my grandfather lived long enough to watch his grandson pick out a seat in Congress. That is, it's incredible. Only in America. That's, 
That's the evolution of the country we live in. My family went from cotton to Congress in his lifetime. And it was only, it was only possible because my grandfather had a stubborn faith. Faith in God, faith in himself, and faith in what America would be. He looked beyond the pain of his present, and he saw the promise of his future. That black man who struggled through the Jim Crow South believed then what some doubt now in the goodness of America. Okay, so Tim Scott, there he is. A compelling story, of course. Again, I don't think he's the right man for this, and he's he's not going to get the nomination. But uh, also, I thought I'd play the yes, a lot of you guys sent me this, as long as I'm doing the political clips. Let's listen to Nebraska elected official Senator Michaela Kavanaugh going absolutely berserk talking about what else, trans people. Here we go. Mika- oh, wait, that's not my... That's not the one I wanted. I'm sorry, you guys. Uh, let me quickly um, pull up. I know I'm doing this on the fly. That one is very faint. And I wanted to get the other one as I stall frantically here. But, uh, yeah, that one was really faint. And um, let me see if this one... I just pulled up a second clip of it. And let me see if this one's louder. Let me try playing this. Just off the side. Here we go. Here we go. We need trans people. We love trans people. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. We love trans people. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. We love trans people. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. We love trans people. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. We love trans people. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. We love trans people. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. We we love trans people. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. We love trans people. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. We love trans people. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. We love Okay, trans- it grows increasingly unhinged, uh, so I'll just stop. That goes on. This goes on for another minute, just like that. Nobody needs anybody, Michaela. By the way, we don't need anybody. You don't need me. I don't need you. Trans people don't need me, and I don't need trans people. This was on the Senate floor, by the way, which explains why uh, she has the time to just sit there and uh, rant. So I, li- I hope you guys enjoyed how I smoothly transitioned. While I'm talking to you, I'm fucking Google searching, searching for a better audio clip. All for you people. You guys imagine? Who else is capable of this? The one-man operation, you guys. The the ab veins. The fucking 20-inch pythons. Nobody else has this going on. What else do I have for you? Okay, well, let's talk about the story here. Animal story. You guys know I like these. And talk about this guy who tried to rescue the bison calf at Yellowstone. Yeah, bison calf over at Yellowstone National Park had to be euthanized after a man apparently tried to help it. So this happened when the calf was separated its mother as the herd crossed the Lamar River. So when the calf struggled to reach the group, a middle-aged man um, kind of went and disturbed it. And then they said the 
uh, bison was then the bison calf was then rejected by its mother, so then it had to be euthanized. Now the the way the New York Times writes this, because I've read several articles about this, he, he wasn't trying to fucking you know fuck with it. It was like it was like drowning in the river, and he was just trying to pull it out to the river. Now, I guess you're not supposed to do that. I thought that was kind of a myth anyway. You know, like once you touch a young animal, the mother rejects it, but apparently not in this case. The herd did reject the calf. I don't know if they, they were trying to identify this guy. I don't know if they're looking to press charges on him. But park regulations do require visitors to stay 25 yards away from wildlife such as bison, elk, and deer and 100 yards away from bears and wolves. Now, it's not like this guy was trying to get a selfie of it, you know, like all the other stupid videos we've seen. Like in 2018, a guy was arrested after taunting a bison in Yellowstone. Um, And then in 2015, that chick was injured while trying to take a selfie near a bison. Yeah, all that. It wasn't like this guy was trying to do that. So, Nor if he was, I'd say, like, screw him. He uh, should get the death penalty. (laughs) But but apparently it was not. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, Grenade detonation kills father and injures his two children. This is in Indiana. I put this on my Instagram story, at BK Actual. And apparently the story is a little bit more common because the original story came out and said that the dad pulled the pin. And somebody one of you other guys who with contacts in Indiana law enforcement said no it was not that was not the case like something caught on something he didn't do it on purpose because I was like what kind of idiot like we all grew up watching Arnold Schwarzenegger movies right Rambo we've seen like we grew up if you're of a certain age if you grew up in the 80s or 90s really before everything started getting lame you grew up with action heroes throwing grenades that were 50 times more effective than they are in real life (laughs) I always love that in movies. A guy throws a grenade, and it, like there's this huge explosion, and like five soldiers are launched like 20 feet in the air, right? All dead. Yeah. If you if you've ever thrown a grenade in real life, I wish it was like that. But apparently, this guy was going through his grandfather's belonging belongings, and he found a grenade, a hand grenade, and it did detonate in the family home. This is in the Lake County. So it happened sometime before 6.30 p.m. at Unleashed Shrapnel that injured the father's 14-year-old son and 18-year-old daughter. The 47-year-old father was found dead at the scene. Uh, Grenade explosions are rare. Uh, They talked to an expert on explosive ordnance disposal, EOD, according to uh, an Army guy. He... Mentioned that there's a lot of hand grenades out there in private homes, war souvenirs, parts of collections. But he, he said a very, very high percentage are totally inert and safe to handle. So, again, as this EOD guy points out, it's a great quote. He said, quote, the last thing you ever want to do with a grenade is pull the pin unless you know 1,000% that it's totally inert, end quote. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? That's the thing, too. Like, if you pulled the pin, like, it doesn't explode immediately. And you would know. Because when you pull a pin from a grenade, at least most of the models, and apparently this model, there's, like, a loud pop that comes from the grenade because that's when the firing pin hits the primer. And then there's a three- to five-second delay, so you could ostensibly throw the grenade, 
and the black powder burns down to the blasting cap and that explodes a grenade, right? So if this guy did accidentally do it, did he not hear anything? Because if I'm like, you know, if I see a grenade and I'm like kind of rough, I'm about to pick it up and all of a sudden you hear like, like that, I'm like, I'm, I'm running, dude. I'm diving in the bathtub. But they're still looking into it. We'll see. Well, let's go to the, a lot of you guys sent me this one too. I actually had this in the queue last week, but I was waiting for a little bit more confirmation, but it, apparently this is true news. And yes, 30 tons of explosive chemicals have been lost during a rail shipment. About 60,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate. That is the chemical used as fertilizer and yes, and explosives went missing on a rail shipment from Wyoming to California in April and still has not been found. Dino Noble, an explosive manufacturing company, notified the federal government of the loss. They said in a statement that they were investigating what happened during the nearly two-week journey. The company said the rail car with the material was sealed when it left a manufacturing site in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and the seals were still intact when it arrived in Saltdale, California. Hmm. So a report made on May 10th to the National Response Center, which is a federal emergency call center for railroad incidents, said that the rail car left Wyoming on April 12th and arrived in California empty. Dino Noble said that the rail car was transported back to Wyoming for further investigation. Wow. Um, yeah, the investigation is still in its early stages. The company says they do not suspect any criminal or malicious activity was involved in the disappearance of the cargo. They just did they load like the wrong fucking shipping container or something? Maybe. Yeah, you guys know of course ammonium nitrate. It's used mainly as a fertilizer, but and, and it's relatively harmless by itself but then it can explode if it is added to a fuel source and subjected to heat and pressure. Most famously, ammonium nitrate was used to bomb the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City in 1995, killing 168 people. And there were a couple others. In 2013, 15 people were killed. More than 260 others were injured in West Texas. Not West Texas, West the City, Texas after ammonium nitrate exploded a fertilizer plant. And then in August of 2020, more than, of course, you guys remember this one well, more than 2,000 tons of ammonium nitrate stored in a warehouse in the port of Beirut, Lebanon, exploded, and that killed more than 200 people. And we all remember the incredible disaster it did to the city over there. So it's quite the mystery there. I don't know how he can immediately rule out, like, no, we don't suspect any criminal activity. Well, that also might be a little slate of hand to maybe flush out the perpetrators. All right, let's keep going here. What else do I have that I wanted to get to? Um, well, I thought I would talk about a uh, great military member and talk about retired Air Force Major Brian Shul, who has passed away at the age of 75. Who was Brian Shul? Well, he was a fighter pilot who nearly died after being shot down during the Vietnam War and then defying doctors who said that his injuries would ground him forever, flew the world's fastest jet in top-secret Cold War operations. He passed away on May 20th. He actually was at a gala called the Nevada Military Support Alliances 
Alliance, and he collapsed and went into cardiac arrest right after telling his life story at this gala. He retired in 1990, and he traveled the world talking about his life. He would meet, um, you know, a lot of combat veterans and went to corporate meetings, did that whole, that whole thing. His face and hands were clearly disfigured from his injuries. A little bit, in 1973, he was flying an AT-28 fighter jet near the Cambodian border when he was hit by small arms fire. His plane erupted into flames. As it crashed in the jungle, he crawled out and was rescued by a uh, special forces team. More than half of his body had been badly burned. He said the treatment was unbearable and uh, wanted to die. And said he needed a goal to focus on, so he's like, I'm going to fly again. Doctor said, you're never going to do that. Well, after 15 operations, several months of physical therapy, he passed his physical, resumed his pilot duties, and in 1983, he volunteered to fly the legendary SR-71 Blackbird, capable of flying at Mach 3 at 85,000 feet to conduct aerial surveillance in the days before drones. And uh, nicknamed the Sled, you guys all know the SR-71. No mistaking that plane. The SR-71 could outrun missiles. It flew so high that pilots needed to wear astronaut suits. And the plane's windshield was four inches thick. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, so he uh, and he flew that in uh, real-world missions. He flew 212 combat missions during the Vietnam War and uh, everything else. So, yeah, great American. Thought I'd recognize Major Brian Shule. Rest in peace. What else? All right, let's go to... Let's go to Mexico. This is a little bit old, but, I mean, it did happen, you know, this week. But I think it was like, what is this, Monday? Um, I never see what day. Anyway, at least 10 people were killed and 9 were wounded when a team of gunmen ambushed a car rally in Baja, Mexico, about 73 miles from the U.S. border. This is near Ensenada. If you guys know, this is a very popular spot for Americans to go. Happened just after 2 p.m. on Saturday in San Vicente. Middle of the freaking day, dude. It was during the last day of a two-day all-terrain alter, car rally. And um, multiple shooters wielding rifles emerged from at least two gray vans at a gas station and just started opening fire on participants of the car rally. Following the shooting, the perpetrators got back in the vans and fled the scene. Uh, by the way, this is about 86 miles from San Diego, California. No reports of any arrests. And they don't really know why they picked this venue. Maybe there were just cartel guys watching it. I tell you, man, like Baja used to be very safe. But now, you know, Mexico, like just last week, I was like contemplating. I'm like, man, I should just do a road trip down Baja. Like, because if you've ever done that, driving from San Diego, you know, you cross the border into TJ, Tijuana, and you head over to the coast to Rosarito and start driving south. It's spectacular coastline. It's beautiful and once you get all the way down there i mean it's like you're tropical it's it's incredible but it has gotten really dangerous i think last week i didn't have i didn't get to it but i had it in the queue some kid near cop some canadian guy sitting in his car he was shot to death and i was planning on like you know i was like thinking well i'll drive down there i'll just camp on the beach and like you just can't fucking do it dude it's not like you can be down there with your gun so it sucks because it's one of the most... We should just, again, I'm going to reiterate, I've said it for years, we should just take Baja, California. Make it the 51st state. Call it South California or something. 
It is, pre- I, you guys, I mean, it, we would make that, I mean, that is like hundreds of miles of pristine coastline. We should definitely just t- tell, we should tell AMLO, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, president of Mexico, just be like, look, Bubby, yeah, this is ours now. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, that's what I thought. We definitely need to take that. So that's my top priority. I promise you here today, if I become king of America, I will promptly seize Baja, California. I make that pledge to you now. Let's go here. What else? Well, uh, you guys heard the music in the beginning of the podcast. And of course, uh, Tina Turner has passed away. Legendary music icon. She died at 83 years old after a long illness. She passed away peacefully at her Switzerland home. Had an incredible career. She grew up in Tennessee, rose to fame as part of the wildly popular Ike and Tina Turner duo in the 70s. You guys all know about uh, Ike Turner. He liked to smack her around, so she eventually left, launched a solo career that was uh, enormously successful. So the funny thing is when she first launched her first solo album, it flopped. Yeah, it flopped and... um, you know, it, it, but then the second one blew up. So she left Ike in 1976 because she, when she was 22, she married Ike Turner and they were doing great. But uh, yeah, Ike used to beat her in the face. She had numerous broken bones. She had third degree burns on one occasion when he poured burning hot coffee on her face. So she left Ike in 76 and she was broke and homeless. So. By the way, her son died in 2018, Craig, from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And then she lost a second child in 2022 when her son Ronnie passed away at age 62 due to complications of colon cancer. So, but uh, great song. You guys, there's too many to list. We don't need another hero. What's love got to do with it? Uh, just just so many. Um, but she also had like a lot of health issues. And included, obviously this is uh, hits home to me, she had kidney problems. And just two months before her death, she shared an Instagram post about her kidney failure. And she opened up her health struggles on International World Kidney Day, which by the way was March 9th. And she said she put herself in grave danger by not taking her 1978 hypertension diagnosis seriously. That's why they call it the silent killer, you guys. The doctor tells you you have high blood pressure, take a fucking pill. It's no big deal. But she wrote on there, quote, my kidneys are victims of my not realizing that my high blood pressure should have been treated with conventional medicine. I have put myself in great danger by refusing to face the reality that I need daily, lifelong therapy with medication, end quote. Oh, yeah, because she was one of these fucking, um, she was one, She was like Steve Jobs. She wanted to do the homeopathic stuff, you know, like eat bark and like drink moon water, something like that. Remember that's what Steve Jobs did when he was battling pancreatic cancer? And at the very end, he's like, uh, oh, wait, I should probably go to a real doctor about this. And they're like, yeah, it's too late. You're dead. So please. <laughs> Let let it be a warning. Stop with the stop with the natural medicine, okay? It's not going to cure your brain tumor. Let's see. Uh, let's talk a little bit about a couple of uh, companies that are in hot water. <laughs> this is great. First, it was Bud Light, right? 
And then it was Target. Did you guys see Target? Because they, they've now become the latest brand to face a conservative backlash. Why would why do they want to get involved in these issues? Why does Bud Light want to fucking get involved with transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney? Why does Target want to get involved with selling tuck clothing? Like, just why? You don't have to do any of this. You know why, right? Because they're hiring all of these far leftist kids out of college for their marketing departments, and they think this is, like, so cool and junk. They're not the ones shopping there. Yep. Target has um, faced criticism for their pride collection. So they have now moved their pride displays, including baby clothing and accessories, from the entrances of some Target stores around the country and placed them in the back. And nobody wants to see the thing is, they vastly underestimate how pissed off people are with this. It's just like fed up. Like normally, like I don't, I never cared, but now it's like, so all the, I think most people are like this, right? I didn't care when it's target carried like rainbow t-shirts, you know, for men and women, fine, whatever. But now it's unrelenting. It's in your face all the time. And on top of that, if you don't think it's awesome, then you're criticized and people are fucking sick of it. I really think, and for every one person who says that out loud, there's 50 people who think it, but don't want to rock the boat. I really believe that. Like, I don't, it's like, dude, just, why are you getting involved in this? These corporations are doing this fucking constantly. And it's Pride Month coming up, by the way. June is Pride Month. And then it's just going to be just all day long or or hey who knows maybe this will finally be like companies might be like hey guys you know we don't fucking have to tweet about fucking gay pride every five minutes and you guys know bk loves the gays nobody loves the gays more than bk i'm on record with that leave the gays alone i love the gays i have many gay friends i mean i know a lot of gay guys i wouldn't say they're friends but i've worked with gay guys i've many gay guys what would we do without the gays i ask you where would we get our tasteful home interior design where would we get our great art our great tv shows our music a lot of gay dudes do that <coughs> so yes bk well-known lover of the gays then a lot of gay guys are grown they don't want to do anything they don't want to have anything to do with this shit either you know you see gay guys are like why are they always talking about kids it's weird they're like i'm gay I don't want to be around kids, you know? But yeah, and then I did see like a bunch of dopes going into Target. I don't have time. I didn't put, save the audio. But they're like, I hate these guys who are going into Target and like yelling at the store manager and they're filming like they're doing something. Like, oh, what do you love? Pedophile stuff. Like that's, that's just a manager, dude. They don't have anything to do with it. They do what they're told because they got to pay rent. Uh, so the big one with Target was a one-piece something called tuck-friendly swimsuit, which is a bathing suit that has extra material for the crotch area for individuals who want to conceal their genitalia. Uh, some people said the swimsuit was being sold to children. However, Target said it was only available in adult sizes. Okay? So, yeah. And, and Target's back. Because, you know, again, the big money is not with the fucking blue-haired 23-year-old marketing manager who might buy a candle from you. The big money is the mom with three kids who's just getting just tired of it. And they don't want to rock the boat. Uh, and then there was a couple of other ones. Uh, North Face, the, the outdoor brand. What are you doing, dude? Yeah. 
North Face had an ad called Summer of Pride. It was released yesterday. Uh, let's see, what date is this? This was, uh, it was released basically on the 24th on their Instagram page. And the commercial features a drag queen called Patty Gonia. Get it? Patty first name, Gonia last name. I'm going to play the clip in a minute. That's telling consumers um, to come out in nature with us. Yeah. So uh, it's a, it is a biological male dressed in a tie-dyed mini dress. Very, like, very, very short, by the way. Showing pretty much all the leg. And uh, the gentleman has uh, very garish makeup on and a uh, long, long wig. Uh, basically unspeakable. So let's, without further ado, listen to this god-awful North Face ad now as I pulled up. Here we go. Hi, it's me, Patagonia, a real-life homosexual. And today I'm here with the North Face. We are here to invite you to come out in nature with us. Wow, this is nice. We like to call this little tour the Summer of Pride. This tour has everything. Hiking, community, art, lesbians, lesbians making art. Last year, we gay saw shade across the nation and celebrated pride across the nation with hundreds of you across the nation. This year, we're back, back, back again with two new stops. Atlanta, GA. Why? Because you're there. In Salt Lake City, we're coming for you. Hi, here we go. Of course. This year, all these Super. fabulous speakers will be coming from inside this TV to a nature near you. So come outside and celebrate the beautiful LGHG TV community. Okay, that was horrific. Uh, by the way, I should point out the gentleman also has a bushy mustache. <laughs> That's like a cartoon caricature. Like, if I was gay, aren't you gay guys? Aren't you, like, insulted by the flamboyance, like, constantly? Like, okay, if North Face wanted to release an ad for Pride Month, which, sure, right? Why don't you take one of the many accomplished, like, gay, gay LGBT, uh, either male or female, Outdoors people, like somebody who uh, is an accomplished climber or a cyclist or a mountain biker or whatever North Face is into, right? Why don't you have an ad featuring a LGBT athlete? And then they can say something, uh, sure, like, yes, uh, I'm proud to uh, wear North Face for Pride Month, whatever. Well, why don't you do that? And like a serious athlete, instead you have this caricature dude prancing around, literally, go watch the video. I, I lose, I do not use that term lightly, prancing around in a field. Like, why? Like, who does that appeal to? It's a gay guy. Seriously, I want to know. Does, are you, like, into that? Do you like that? I don't know. I don't get it. And then in another one, let's go to the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is, this is fucking ridiculous. The LA Dodgers, they disinvited... On May 17th, you guys saw this, they, they disinvited the LGBT group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, right? The Dodgers, uh, famously, they have this every year. They have like Pride Night. And the event is on June 16th. That's the Dodgers Pride Night. And that's where all the gay groups are going to be there. So the Dodgers made a list of groups. And originally, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence was on it. Then on May 17th, they came out and said, well, you know what, after looking into this group, because conservative Catholic political groups uh, raised objections, they disinvited them. 
Now, if you guys want to see what they're all about, go Google Sisters Hunky Jesus. Yeah, they basically have like Jesus on a cross who's like some shredded dude. And then the, the dude gets up off the cross and starts fucking like twerking. It's incredibly offensive to Catholics. I grew up Catholic. I mean, I'm pretty agnostic, but still. Yeah, you, you can find it on video. Um, they had a hunky Jesus contest in April. It showed a drag queen gyrating on a man dressed as Jesus before performing a pole dance. And let me just say... A lot of people took, uh, you know, they, they they basically mock a Catholic mass. And it's super offensive. And Senator Marco Rubio got involved with it because then Dodgers, then the Dodgers rescinded their invitation, right? But then they fucking rescinded the rescindation. Is that a word? Yeah. And they put out a thought because all the freaking left-wingers in their organization said, how dare you not invite these foul people and they put out an Instagram. They're like, after much thoughtful feedback from our diverse communities, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers would like to offer our sincerest apologies to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. They apologized to them. And they re-invited them on June 16th. And the sisters agreed to. By the way, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence like dress as nuns and they're all dudes in drag and stuff like that. And... When the Dodgers first cut them off, the L.A. Pride dropped out of the event as well. So then it snowballed. And it's just, it's honestly shock, shocking to me because you know for a fact if the, Los Angeles is famously has many, many people of the Jewish faith in the entertainment community and other wealthy industries in Los Angeles and a long history with the Los Angeles Dodgers as well. You telling me that a group that mocked, say, Abraham, you telling me that a group that mocked Abraham and openly dressed like in traditional uh, uh, rabbi gear would be welcome at this event? Are you fucking kidding me? It wouldn't even be brought up. And that's what's so enraging is they do this because they can get away because Catholics are an easy mark. Because they don't raise objections to anything. You think, or let's go one better. How about if they fucking did a hunky Mohammed contest? Uh, for, first of all, you know that would never happen in a million years because they would all be like murdered while they were on the way to it. Because say what you want about the Islamic faith, they, they care. They care when people make fun of them. So yeah, I just found it a joke. And the fact that the Dodgers are letting them. Just so gross and wrong. And it's like, just this isn't like, can't you just like, just be regular and have pride in being LGBT, whatever. Just be that. But be, but do that by being a productive member of society. To me, when you dress like a clown and outfits and all this prancing around, it just looks absurd to me. And it makes me think you're just goofy. So there you go. All that nonsense. I spent way too long on that. Let's talk about the guy who fucking plowed the U-Haul truck into the White House gates. Yes, the white supremacist named Sai Varshith Kandula. He's only 19 years old. He slammed the U-Haul truck into the White House gates and uh, told Secret Service agents, quote, my message was received, end quote. He told them that they had planned the attack for six months and that he would, quote, Kill the president if that's what I have to do 
and hurt everyone that would stand in my way, end quote. And he also praised Adolf Hitler as a strong leader. <laughs> uh, he is, I don't know if he's from, he's not from there, but this article says he came from Missouri. And then he, so he crashes the gates at the White House around 10 p.m. Monday night while Biden was inside. And then he gets out of the vehicle carrying a large Nazi flag. And they said he was some academically gifted teenager. I guess he was like of Indian descent, something like that. Uh, Let me see. What else about this cat? Uh, I'm just scrolling down here. He flew from St. Louis, Missouri to Dulles, then rented the U-Haul truck. And then he decided to go crashed into the gate. Uh, Now, a little bit more about that. His charges have been significantly downgraded. It's very weird. I mean, he basically told the Secret Service agents, yeah, I'm here to kill the president. Uh, He was originally charged with threatening to kill, kidnap, or inflict harm on a president, vice president, or family member, assault with a dangerous weapon, reckless operation of a motor vehicle, trespassing, and destruction of federal property. Now they've dropped all charges down to one count of depredation of property of the United States in excess of $1,000. What is that? <laughs> Do you guys really think if it was an actual, like, I've told you, I told you a bit this about the, that Texas shooter, the Hispanic dude who loved Nazis. Like, there's a lot of, like, not white guys who like Nazis. And uh, to me, they are, you could call them neo-Nazis. I wouldn't call them white supremacists. I would just call them Nazis because they like Hitler. Um, but he is not a U.S. citizen either. And I'm just guessing that if it was like a shaved-headed white guy, you know, getting out of the van after crashing in the White House gates, holding a Nazi flag, do you think they would have downgraded to one count of depredation of property of the U.S.? Probably not. It says he's not a citizen. Is he legally here? Of course, they don't say. I'm uh, just scrolling down here. No, they don't say. So, not here. Not a U.S. citizen, though. How about some celebrity news? Rapper Fetty Wap. You guys all know Fetty Wap, right? One of my favorites. Trap Queen. He rapped that one. He has been sentenced to six years in prison for dealing heroin and cocaine across two states. <laughs> Idiot. He's 31 years old. You know what? He did this while he was, like, hugely successful. That music. This is like Ja Morant. That's sort of exactly the first person I thought of. Talked about Ja, the NBA player who last week he was like he got in trouble. He's waving a gun around on Instagram Live and and all those people are like, dude, you're a multimillionaire. Why do you still want to do this hood shit? And he does. The rapper was convicted of drug dealing in New Jersey and Long Island in 2019 and 2020. Six years in the pen, five years on probation. He's been in custody since last August. Uh, he was out on bail, and his bail was revoked after threatening to kill a man over FaceTime and brandishing a gun at him. Damn, he was a consp- he was um, was he convicted of this? Well, he was accused of conspiring to possess and distribute more than 100 kilograms of heroin, fentanyl, and crack cocaine. And he is said to have reportedly have personally dealt 25 kilograms of drugs across the Garden State. Damn, dude. Living it up. 
This was in New York at the federal court. Well, oh, okay. He said federal. I was about to say he'll probably get like, he'll probably do a year and get out. But if he was convicted federally, then uh, yeah, he might uh, actually do a lot of those charges. Old Fetty Wap, dude. You guys don't have to still, once you make it, dude, you know, just forget about it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, what I want to get to? I want to get to TikTok. Yes, I want to talk about TikTok. I know it's very exciting. All you guys out there, you love TikTok. Uh, first, let's begin with TikTok. The company is suing Montana. I told you last week that Montana had banned TikTok, which I don't wouldn't really don't get how you can actually do. But yeah, they sued to block Montana from banning the popular video app. In a lawsuit, the company said Montana's legislation violated the First Amendment and parts of the U.S. Constitution that limit state powers. The ban was, quote, unconstitutionally shutting down the forum for speech for all speakers on the app, end quote. And you know what? I said that when it happened. I was like, how is this constant? The government can't tell you what you can and can't have to talk on. They just can't unless it's an existing crime. Like there was an app that wanted to share photos of underage children, such, you know, like that. Obviously that could be banned. But this TikTok is, they're not doing anything illegal. But yeah, this is just days after Montana's governor, Greg Gianfort, signed the ban, which would fine the app if it operated in the state or app stores if they allowed it to be downloaded into law. Uh, so we'll see if that's stick. Uh, TikTok does share user data, by the way. It's pretty common. Employees of the Chinese-owned video app have regularly posted user information on a messaging and collaboration tool called Lark, according to internal documents. In August of 2021, TikTok received a complaint from a British user who flagged that a man had been, quote, exposing himself and playing with himself on a live stream she hosted on the video app. <laughs> she also described past abuse. So to address that, they shared, the TikTok employees shared the incident on an internal messaging and collaboration tool. So the British woman who complained, they took her personal data, including her photo, country of residence, IP, IP address, device, and user IDs, were also posted on the platform. So that's where it's raising alarms because they do actually just put all that shit out and they commonly look at it. And they're, it's hard to say, like, you know, where, where's, where, is it, where does it end? Like, how much has it actually been? And speaking of TikTok, this has been going around a lot. Have you guys seen the young uh, British kid, the black kid named Mizzy? And he's been doing all these so-called pranks, like running into, he's like, oh, today we're going to walk into people's houses and just see what happens. And he did another one where he picked up an old lady's dog and ran off with it, shit like that. And he's just a little fucker. Yeah, well, he, uh, he was actually arrested for this. But his account on TikTok has been deleted now, and he's been handed a two-year ban his name is, is, his TikTok name was Mizzy, M-I-Z-Z-Y. His real name is Bakari Bronze Ogaro. But he made headlines when he filmed himself entering a family's home. In the clip, the residents are clearly distressed, but he seemingly shows no remorse, later bragging about the video going viral. And then that's when all his other videos resurfaced. He approached a group of women waiting for a train and asked them if they wanted to die, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, he, he eventually got arrested. He, this went all the way to the parliament. A couple members of parliament called on the police to act, and the 18-year-old was arrested. 
So, yeah, he's just a dumb idiot. But the thing is, it's made him 10 times more famous. Look at me. I'm talking about it. But I, I wanted to bring that up because I wanted to uh, play a clip of the kind of stuff. Here's one that didn't go so well for him. This clip is titled, Walking Up to Randoms, Acting Like They're My Mom. And you're going to hear Mizzy walk into a store, and there, there is a British, a black British woman in there, and that's who he talks to. Let's hear what she says to him. Walking up to random black women, acting like they're my mom. Let's go. Mom. Mom. Hi. Hi. You're right. Yeah. You're my mom. I don't know who your mom is. No, you. That's you. Excuse, excuse me, mom. Mom, where have you been? I saw dad yesterday. Was just there mom. fucking something wrong with this guy? Because I will knock him out with my... Listen, don't fuck with me. I'm the wrong one. Get I... the fuck out the shop. Don't start, yeah? I will knock you out. There's no question. <laughs> what? Uh, it's great ended right there. Yeah, that's exactly. That's the only thing that works. Kids like that, they need a spanking. Like I said last week, these pranks like that. You guys saw the video of the dude who was pouring the water out of a gas can onto people's cars and acting like it was gasoline as a prank. And then the old dude got out with a gun. Uh, Piers Morgan actually ended up t- uh, interviewing this guy. Uh, let me listen. I have not heard this. Let's what listen to a little bit. What justifies this? What What's happened to life? you that makes you think you're justified in doing this? What do you mean, tell me about my life? Well, you are said you, you said you know nothing about your black. life. Tell me about your life. Because I'm getting, trying to get on to you because I'm black. Because I guarantee. Because if there you're was a black. White person, yeah, I guarantee. If there I don't was a give white a person, damn about your skin oh, color. Really? Yeah. No. Why would I care what color your skin is? I just think you're an idiot. Oh, thank you. I think you're an idiot too. That's fine. You're perfectly entitled to. Yeah. So are you. So the show's called uncensored. I think you're an idiot for what you've been doing. I also think you're an idiot for playing the race card when no one's mentioned your skin color. Really? Okay. You don't have to mention it to. I don't care about your skin color, Lizzie. I care about the fact that you've been terrorizing all these people for a sustained period of time. I also care about the fact you've only got a tiny fine today. No deterrent to you whatsoever. You don't show any real remorse. You don't UK, really care, do you? The UK laws are weak, simple as. And that's huh? not, the UK laws are weak, simple as, and that's not uh. my fault. <laughs> well, he's got a point there. Um, by the way, Piers, one, I, good job, but don't call him by his TikTok name. Address him as Bacaro or whatever his fucking name is. Anyway, I thought you guys would enjoy that. What else? Let's see here. Oh, guys, uh, we have a... Uh, we have one of my favorite topics. Uh, let's do a Sam Brinton update. You guys remember who that is, of course. That is Biden's former non-binary nuclear official who was a fugitive of justice <laughs> for stealing luggage. Oh, it's terrific. Uh, anyway, he is, of course, non-binary. <laughs> I just like saying that. He's facing charges of suitcase theft. And he is set to, his non-binary status is apparently um, not uh, of a concern to the good people of the Montgomery County Department of Corrections because they have placed him in a men's jail while awaiting the transfer to Virginia. Actually, I'm shocked by that because Montgomery County, my parents live in Montgomery County, is one of the, I've covered done numerous stories on them being fucking crazily woke. and uh, But apparently they do have a policy of placing processed inmates in jails based on their biological sex. Oh, my God. A moment of uh, rationality in Montgomery County. He is uh, then going to be transferred to Virginia. Uh, Sam Britton. Oh, they go by they, them. Sam Britton was arrested at his home last week on grand larceny charges related to the alleged theft of a suitcase belonging to Tanzanian fashion designer 
Asya Kamsen from Ronald Reagan National Airport in D.C. All right. Great. Non-binary. <laughs> uh, uh, I just love that term. Uh, what else? A, yeah, a lot of you guys sent me this one, too. A Kentucky man shot his roommate in the buttocks after he ate the last Hot Pocket in the freezer. Clifton Williams, 64 years old. Yeah, he was not happy. He was charged with second-degree assault. That's it, huh? Yeah, Williams and the male victim got in an argument in their Louisville home after he discovered his final Hot Pocket had been eaten. And uh, Williams began throwing tiles at the victim. And uh, then they escalated fist fights. Williams went inside, got a pistol, which he used to shoot the roommate in the buttocks as he was trying to leave. I wonder if it says roommate. I wonder if this is a little bit more. Were they banging? Is what I'm trying to get to. Uh, uh, yes, another one. Tons of you guys sent me the Florida guy who had his arm bitten off by the by the alligator. <laughs> I would I would play the video, but it's just a lot of people yelling, so it's kind of dumb. But yeah, the guy, uh, this is Jordan Rivera, 23 years old. The clip shows him writhing in pain on the muddy banks of a pond in the early hours of Sunday morning. This was like 2, 3 in the morning. And he had gone outside to relieve himself because the line for the bathroom in a Florida bar was too long. Holy shit. So this is right outside. of. So a bar in Florida has like a gator-infested pond like just right out back. Florida's crazy place, man. Yeah, they tried to use a belt as a tourniquet, put it around his arm. Don't know how effective it is. It looked like it, pretty, it, looked like it wasn't bleeding at all, but uh, the brachial artery was pretty much all gone. And he said, uh, he told local media that he barely remembers the incident. And he seemed to take it pretty well. He said, quote, I didn't lose my life, I lost an arm. It's not the end of the world, end quote. So, yeah, dude, I am. You wouldn't. You won't catch me within twenty feet of a pond or river in Florida, creek, crick, lake, anything. Let's see. Uh, here's another. Talk about shitty ways to die, dude. Let's go to Illinois. Actually, let me. The guy is from Illinois. Let's go to Alaska. A 20-year-old man named Zachary Porter from Illinois drowned after he became stuck in waist-high mud. And then the tide came in and drowned him. Dude, this is nuts. He'd been walking with friends. He's like mud flats, right? He became caught in the mud flats and he was with people. So his friends tried to drag him out of it. They were unsuccessful. They called the authorities. They were unsuccessful. They had rescue teams who were trying to fucking tug this guy out of the mud and they couldn't do it. And then the tide came in, water covered his head, and he was dead. His body was not recovered until the next morning, according to Alaska State Troopers. This was, uh, if you guys know the area, it was the, these are called the Turnagain Arm Mud Flats near Hope, an hour and a half drive from Anchorage. They were like 50 to 100 feet from shore. Porter became stuck in the softening silt, mud, whatever. They called 911 immediately. They did the right thing. When the first rescue teams soon arrived, he was waist deep in mud. They had fire crews, two air ambulances, but by, they were called there, let me see, they got there at 6 p.m., the first rescue crews. By 7 p.m., he was underwater. Well, didn't they, like, st stick some fucking scuba tanks on him? Let me see here. 
Uh, I'm just looking because why wouldn't you do that? A lot of people have died in this area. I'm just going down this Daily Mail story. Yeah, they don't say. They just said he was underwater and that was it. I guess they didn't have any kind of scuba gear because that would be my just spitballing. That's the first thing I would do. Uh, yeah, let's see. Oh, I should have put this one with the the uh, other animal story, the bison story. Did you guys see? The, it's not a, there was no video of it, but a, a married California father of two was run over by a car because he got out to help ducklings cross the road. Yep, Casey Rivera was hit by a 17-year-old female in Rockland. And he had he was 41 years old. He parked his car by the side of the road and because there was a family of ducks trying to cross. And you know, he thought, "Hey, you know, this will be this will be this, this is the right thing to do." And people like took pictures of it like right before I bet there's video of him getting smashed by the car because there's plenty of pictures going around the internet showing him escorting these ducks. And his kids, 11 and 6 years old, were right there watching. Uh, the unnamed driver was cooperating. They said it's unlikely she'll be charged over the death. Because the first thing I think is, how do you hit a guy in broad daylight hard enough to kill him? Like, uh, on, were you texting? But, yeah, dude. Showing the ducks. Actually, he helped the ducks get all the way across the road. Somebody said, hey, thanks. And then moments later... Car comes barreling through and friggin' smokes him right there. <sighs> Dude, ducks just, ducks aren't worth it, man. Okay, uh, let me see. Let's do this one. Oh, this is a great story. Let's go to Germany. A German tourist, 50 years old, is in a hospital in Italy. Why is he in a hospital? Well, he's facing having his penis amputated. After a 24-hour ecstasy and Viagra sex marathon with his wife left him with septic shock. <laughs> like, I, read, I didn't see the wife part. I assumed right away, I'm like, okay, this dude is just banging out hookers left and right. This is his wife, and he's 50. Good for you, bro. He's in serious condition in a hospital in Grosseto, Italy, after having sex under the influence of drugs for an estimated 24 hours. The two allegedly had a bunch of uh, sex after taking MDMA at their apartment in Castel del Piano. And uh, he started feeling bad, turned up at the hospital on May 11th. And more than a week after his arrival, his condition has been described as serious. So local media is saying he has septic shock and it has caused necrosis of the man's penis and scrotum. Oh, brutal. Not great. Let's see here. Let's go to the let's talk a little border story here. I'm, I'm going to skip most of the other travesty that's going on, but I wanted to get to this one. The FBI is investigating the death of a tribal member in Arizona after U.S. Border Patrol agents shot him on Thursday. Customs and Border Protection agents said um, that they responded and that agents from the Ajo Border Patrol station shot this man on the, I believe it's pronounced Tohono O'odham, that is the local Indian tribe, and in it's near Tucson. And the tribal police are also investigating. Now, get this: they called the border patrol, and this is according to the tribal chairman Ned Norris Jr., who, by the way, identified the victim as Raymond Matia. 
That is the native man who was killed by the Border Patrol. But they called the Border Patrol because they said there were illegal immigrants on his property. Yeah. According to the family, Mattia called the Border Patrol because there were multiple illegal immigrants who had trespassed into his yard and he wanted assistance getting them out of his property. They told that to Tucson TV station KVOA. When the agents arrived, Mattia went outside and was shot and killed. What are you guys doing, Border Patrol? That is not great. Not, not great. Dude's a native guy calling you for help. They think he, he, they must have thought he was one or what did he just, did he bust out the front door holding a pistol? Like, I don't know. That's a bizarre story. We'll watch that one. I think more is going to come out on that. Let's see here. Let's go to a few California area stories. This one, this one's crazy. So a kid fell to his death after climbing on the sixth street bridge in LA And according to L.A. police chief Michael Moore, he said the 17-year-old boy who died over the weekend while climbing was taking part in an apparent social media stunt. Like they were, you know, he was going to film himself or somebody was filming him. But now the teenager's family is disputing that claim, saying the fall was simply a tragic accident. Police were sent to the bridge around 2 a.m. and found the boy pronounced dead at the hospital. The family identified him as Anthony Luna. And Moore said on Tuesday, quote, I'm sorry, Anthony slipped and fell, quote, when climbing upon one of the arches in order to post, apparently, a social media broadcast, end quote. Like Twitch streaming or something. But on Thursday, Anthony's father, Paul, said Moore is full of shit, saying he has seen video of the fall, ugh, and his son was not climbing the bridge to post it on any online sites. He spoke with ABC News. He said uh, he said his son didn't even care about social media. Why would he say that then? That's because I had this story in the queue predicated on that this kid was trying to film himself and fell to his death. But, man, I can't believe the dad watched the video. That's heavy. Let's talk about another 17-year-old, also in the Los Angeles area, who has been arrested for allegedly stabbing an L.A. Metro bus operator multiple times, leaving him in critical condition. And this was not in a bad part of neighborhood. And this is not like, a, he doesn't look like a vagrant. I'm looking at security video of him right now. He looks like a teenage kid. He's got a t-shirt on. He's got some AirPods or something sticking out of his pocket. He's got a backpack. He looks like a normal kid. But he got on the bus in Woodland Hills, which is a very, which is a nice neighborhood in LA. And apparently the bus driver and the suspect got into it to begin arguing And the bus driver and the suspect exited the bus and continued the argument, at which time the suspect produced a knife and stabbed the bus driver multiple times, including the neck. Uh, They do have the kid in custody. Yeah, this bus driver, they said it was like horrific. I don't, I haven't seen the video of the actual attack, but they said it was like horrific, brutal, all that stuff. And I believe it. Uh, Let's see. Here's a woman, here's a uh, woman spitting on an Asian woman in a New York City subway. The woman spitting appears to be African American. Let's listen to it. What's your name? Ming Lee. What? Ming Lee. 
Okay, she did spit on her multiple times. Uh, did, I don't know if you caught that in between her, but she was like uh, accusing her of bringing COVID to the United States. Damn, that's just, you know, it's unfortunate. Uh, this is a little bit boring, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but this is a huge deal. Um, they have uh, several states have gotten together, specifically Arizona, California, Nevada, and they've agreed to take less water from the Colorado River, a breakthrough agreement. And that supposedly will keep the river from falling so low that it will jeopardize water supplies for major western cities like Phoenix and Los Angeles. This agreement was announced on Monday, and it calls for the federal government to pay about $1.2 billion to irrigation districts, cities, and Native American tribes in the three states if they temporarily use less water. Taken together, those reductions would amount to about 13% of the total water use in the lower Colorado Basin. Hmm. That is among the most aggressive ever experienced in the region. These reductions, that is. Um, the Colorado River, if you didn't know, supplies drinking water to 40 million Americans in seven states, as well as part of Mexico, and irrigates 5.5 million acres of farmland. And the electricity generated by dams on the river's two main reservoirs, Lake Mead and Lake Powell, powers millions of homes and businesses. So this is like, I know it's like, again, kind of boring, but hugely, hugely important. And what else? Oh, let's talk about this. You guys remember the Nashville shooter, the transgender, the chick who killed the three kids and the three workers at the school? Well, they're still trying to hide that manifesto. And now it's the parents from about 100 families are apparently going to be allowed to formally argue against the release of journals and writings left behind by the assailant who killed six people at that Christian school in Nashville. So journalists and gun rights organizations and lawmakers are suing to force the release of hundreds of pages of journals and writings left by the shooter. The parents of the three nine-year-olds killed and nearly all of their surviving classmates has asked in a hearing to join the case and argue against their publication. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I feel bad for just like taking it on its face. Like, listen, I feel bad for you. I sympathize with you. But we, the public, have a right to see that information. The shooter's dead. There's no legal claim. You can't say like, well, there's a court case involved here. There's not. So the rest of us who are still here, we deserve to see inside the mind of this nut to know kind of what we're dealing with. And I would say that for anybody. If it was a, you know, Islamic dude incel, fucking transgender incel, white supremacist incel, anyone. I would say it about any of them. I want to see it and I want to read how crazy they are. Not because I have some sick fascination with it. I just want to know. Only a handful of officials have reviewed these writings, including Nashville city lawyers and FBI employees. Yeah, that's public information. I'm sorry for your loss, but that's the way it is. A couple January 6th related stories. The Oath Keepers leader has been sentenced. 
Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the far-right Oath Keepers militia, was sentenced this week to 18 years in prison for his conviction on seditious conspiracy charges. This is the most severe penalty so far in the more than 1,000 criminal cases stemming from the Capitol attack. And it's also the first to have been given to any of the 10 members of the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys. Remember, the Proud Boys were convicted of sedition in connection with the events of January 6th. Rhodes is 58 years old. Remember, he was, a, he was kind of an interesting guy. He was in the Army. He used to work on Capitol Hill, and he had a law degree from Yale. So, yeah, pretty stiff sentence, man. Now, what about this seditious conspiracy? Conspiracy. It is different from insurrection and treason, if you want to know. Sedition is the incitement of violent action against the government. Okay, Some kind of communication or activity aimed at getting people to overthrow the state by force or to prevent it from carrying out its authority to enforce the law. Now, what is sedi- that's sedition. That's the incitement, right, of, of violence. What is seditious conspiracy? That is a different crime. The law makes it a crime. It's found in Title 18 of the U.S. Code. The law makes it a crime for two or more people to actively plot to overthrow by force the federal government, to levy war against it, to unlawfully seize federal property, or, quote, by force to prevent, hinder, or delay the execution of any law of the United States, end quote. And a conviction carries a sentence of up to 20 years in prison. Sounds like they fucking threw the book at him. Uh, Now, is sedition the same thing as insurrection? (laughs) I know this is funny. They overlap a little bit, but sedition is understood to center more on plotting and incitement. Insurrection is generally understood to be the actual violent acts, like in the alley, you know, the mob. So, exciting. Now, a couple other guys. You remember the January 6th guy who kicked his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk? He has been given a sentence of uh, more than four years. This man was Richard Barnett. He was found guilty in January. And a jury, he's 63 years old. And he left that note, hey, Nancy, blah, 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 I was here. And holy fuck. I'm just scrolling down this. It doesn't say the actual amount of time he got. It just says more than four years in prison. There's no, like, I was looking, scrolling down here, looking for, like, okay, what is that? Like, 50 months? No, doesn't say. This is kind of a gross oversight. And then one more January 6th guy, a Texas man who tried to breach the Speaker's lobby on January 6th. He got seven years in prison. Yeah, that was when Ashley Babbitt, he was like kind of in that whole area. When Ashley Babbitt, the chick, was shot to death. Yep, he got nearly seven years in prison. That's Christopher Grider, 41, of Texas. He'd also tried to shut off the electricity box at the Capitol, pressing buttons on an electric utility box while yelling, quote, turn the power off, end quote. He operated a vineyard in central Texas. (laughs) Boy, man. These people just, boy, they just lost their minds. They just completely lost their minds. Uh, Remember the Mar-a-Lago documents scandal? Of course you do. Against Trump. Classified documents found in Mar-a-Lago. But we found, at the time, I was wondering how they figured this out. 
Well, apparently, a Mar-a-Lago worker has provided prosecutors new details in the case. And a maintenance worker for Trump at Mar-a-Lago recounted helping to move boxes into a storage room a day before a Justice Department official came seeking the return of classified material. Yeah, so this was... um, They don't name him, but they said that the maintenance worker saw an aide named Walt Nauta, who was Trump's valet in the White House. This guy saw him moving boxes in a storage room, and he offered to help the aide move the boxes and ended up helping him. But the worker had no idea what was inside the boxes. So the maintenance worker has now shared that account with the feds, and they think it's significant to prosecutors because they're trying to piece together details of how Trump handled sensitive documents. Because he said, remember, oh, I didn't remember that. They were just laying around. And so I guess the feds are trying to say, like, oh, they purposely did this. And indeed, Nauta, the aide, and this worker moved the boxes into the room before a search of the storage room that same day by a lawyer for Trump. <laughs> They're still going after this. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Some exciting brain news. Brain and spine. A paralyzed man can now walk naturally again with brain and spine implants. This is amazing. This guy is named Gert Jan Oskam. He was living in China in 2011 when he was in a motorcycle accident, left him paralyzed from the hips down. Now, with a combination of devices, scientists have given him control over his lower body again. In a study published on Wednesday in the journal Nature, researchers researchers in Switzerland described implants that provided a sort of digital bridge between Oscom's brain and his spinal cord, and it would bypass injured sections. That discovery allowed Oscom, 40 years old, did I say Oxum earlier? It's Oscom, to stand, walk, and ascend a steep ramp with only the assistance of a walker. More than a year after the implant has been inserted, he has retained these abilities and has actually shown signs of neurological recovery, walking with crutches even when the implant was switched off. Oh, that's great. This comes on the heels of a lot of advances in spinal cord injury treatment in recent decades. In 2016, a group of scientists were able to restore the ability to walk in paralyzed monkeys. Another one helped a man regain control of his crippled hand. In 2018, different group of scientists devised a way to stimulate the brain with electrical pulse generators, allowing partially paralyzed people to walk and ride bicycles again. Incredible. Thank God for these smart, you smart bastards out there. Thank God for all of you, because the rest, most, most people, including myself, are, are, are pretty dumb. And a couple other brain stories. Uh, chronic pain is now being linked to the brain even more than first thought. Yeah, because they're finding brain signals about it. Researchers have for the first time recorded the brain's firing patterns while a person is feeling that pain, which is exciting because that means maybe that we'll soon have implanted devices that will one day predict those signals or stop them. They use some kind of pacemaker-like device surgically placed inside the brain And scientists recorded uh, from four patients who had felt unremitting nerve pain for more than a year. And the devices recorded several times a day for up to six months. And this was also studied in the, or published this study in the journal Nature. And 
It reported that the pain was associated with electrical fluctuations in the orbital orbitofrontal cortex. So that suggests that this brain activity could serve as uh, like a uh, like kind of markers. It could guide diagnoses and treatment for millions of people with chronic pain. So that's that's been a chronic pain is one of those things that has bedeviled the medical community for many many decades. And then one final brain story. I know, isn't this exciting, you guys? The hotel fucking podcast. <laughs> um, uh, experiments on mice have shown that ultrasound pulses to their brain send them into a hibernation-like state. And that's exciting because we could maybe do that in the future. You guys have all seen the movies, right? You put somebody, uh, put the uh, space traveler in hibernation. Yes, we have thought about that quite a bit, but now researchers saying they've been able to send mice into what they call a torpor-like state, T-O-R-P-O-R. That's not sleeping. It's kind of a standby mode, right? And all your energy and metabolism slows way down. So they've been able to send mice into this state by targeting a specific part of the brain with short bursts of ultrasound. Not exactly clear why ultrasound has this effect, but they do suggest that some parts of your brain involved in torpor could show us how to take people's metabolism and change it outside the lab. So yes, for your space travel going to Mars. Is that enough on brain stuff for you guys? Okay, let's keep going. Uh, let's do something uh, a little bit more fun. An ex-Georgia deputy gets life in prison for killing his married lover who insulted his penis size. Mm. Jason Moose Cunningham, 48 years old, formerly with the Richard Richmond County Sheriff's Office, pleaded guilty and possession of a firearm for the killing in June 2020 of 37-year-old Nicole Harrington. And Cunningham told investigators... He shot Harrington, his girlfriend, and a married mom of three. She, she was married, by the way. In the back of the head, at least once, after she, quote, insulted the size of his manhood, end quote. Mm. Yeah, they must have gotten in a big brawl. She's a pretty good-looking chick. Uh, so, yes, he's in the news because he's been given 35 years to life in prison. They were, they were obviously already arguing, and they were in a parking garage. He said he went to the parking garage. He met her in the parking garage at the Augusta Convention Center to meet up with her in order to end the affair. So they get into an argument, and then she was like, uh, it doesn't say exactly what she said, who knows, but she's probably said something like, oh, yeah, well, at least I'm not a small dick jerk, and boom, that was it. Do you remember? I think I, I want to say I covered this guy. Yeah, I did. Do you guys remember the story of Dr. Darius Paduch or Paduk? That was the urologist who's criminally charged with sexually abusing the underage boys in, uh, in Manhattan. He's very well known. I talked about this a couple months ago. Well, he's back in the news because guess what? Now they're saying five years before he was criminally charged, um, there had been complaints made against him. And guess what? Shockingly, it was ignored. It was ignored. This is a formal complaint filed in 2018 with the state's Office of Professional Medical Conduct. 
They said that the sexual misconduct took place in 2006, 2007, and included claims that the doctor required the patient to pleasure himself in front of him, that the doctor photographed the patient's erect penis, that he showed the patient photos of other men's penises, and inquired about the patient's taste in pornography. Uh, you know, if you don't know any better when you go to a penis doctor, because I haven't been to like a year, you know, specifically. But if you're like completely ignorant or young, do you, is there a chance that maybe you think those are normal questions that a doctor, you're like, well, he is the penis doctor. Maybe, maybe it's not unusual that he tells me that he wants me to chub up and take a fucking close up, you know? Maybe, maybe they think it was okay. But apparently this person was like, nah, that's, that is not right. Especially the part about him showing other penises. Like, look at this one. Uh, look at this one all fucking turgid. It's all veiny. The big veins. <laughs> anyway, he's uh, still being criminally charged, and uh, that case will wind its way through the courts. I'll watch that one for sure. Let's see. I want to do a couple other audio clips here before I run out of time. That's what I want to get to. Oh, this is a good one. I want to play this clip. This is uh, from a medical doctor. He's wearing a turtleneck blazer, horn-rimmed glasses, and has bright pink hair. I want to paint a picture for you to kind of get you the sense of what this person is, but I want you to listen to what this guy says. Another gender clip. I'm Blair Peters. I use he, they pronouns. I'm a plastic and reconstructive surgeon at OHSU, and I specialize in gender-affirming and peripheral nerve surgery. I describe gender-affirming surgery as using surgery to help someone physically actualize their internal sense of self. So I view surgery as changing something that makes someone feel dysphoric to make them feel euphoric and better and more comfortable in their own body. You know, when someone sees their vulva for the first time and you can see that you've just lifted this huge burden off of them completely. Or, you know, I have an adolescent patient that hasn't been going to school for months and is completely socially isolated and is having just like an extremely difficult time. And they come back to clinic two months after top surgery and they're like this exuberant teenager in school, you know, planning the rest of their life, thriving all of a sudden. And there are so few things that you can do in medicine and in surgery where a few hours in the operating room can completely transform somebody. And that's a pretty amazing way to spend your life, Um, especially as a queer person and a gender diverse person that um, gets it in some ways, not all, but in some, um, and to be able to sort of bond with my patients in that way and share that space is really amazing. I couldn't it's imagine really amazing. Feeling Wow. Um, that was a video from OHSU, by the way. Oregon Health and blah, 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 blah. Uh, lots to unpack there. I don't know, dude. Uh, like I said many times, like these young kids, you should you should be required to have had an orgasm and then also be required to be told by the doctor that you will never have one again if you go through with this treatment before you do it. So creepy. Oh, we had an illegal alien murder a cop. You guys probably didn't even hear about this, did you? Yeah. This is uh, around Jacksonville. Uh, actually, it's in the county. 
So uh, the man charged with murder and an in-the-line-of-duty death of a St. John's County Sheriff's Office sergeant is in the U.S. illegally, according to Immigration and Customs Enforcement. 18-year-old Virgilio Aguiar Mendez is a citizen of Guatemala. Uh, last Friday night, St. John's County Sheriff's Office Sergeant Michael Kunovic, Kunovic possibly, made contact with the man who he saw sitting in the dark outside of a closed business. He attempted to pat him down. Aguiar Mendez pulled away and attempted to flee. Additional deputies arrived. He continued to resist. While fighting on the ground, the subject attempted to grab Kunovic's, Kunovic's laser and continued to violently resist for approximately 6 minutes and 19 seconds. Um... After Okay, I see what happened. After Aguiar Mendez was handcuffed, he was forcefully removed by deputies, but then Kunovic, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing, I don't know how to go. I'll just pick Kunovic, okay? Kunovic collapsed moments after the subject was disarmed, and they obviously tried to give life-saving procedures, but he uh, was ultimately pronounced dead. Now, they are charging him with felony murder, so that's an interesting legal case, right? Because it doesn't sound like he he didn't murder him, so to speak, but the guy died, probably cardiac related, while he was wrestling around on the ground with the illegal aliens. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch in the courts. So let's keep an eye on that. Let's see. Uh, a let's see, I did that one already, and. This this one's this headline is hard to unpack. All right, listen to this headline from the Daily Mail. Mississippi girl, 17, is charged with raping two boys aged 10 and 14 in front of other children on Mother's Day, then getting her 32-year-old mom to organize gang to beat up witnesses who told police. <laughs> Got all that? 17-year-old a miracle. Yeah. A-M-I-R-A-C-L-E. A miracle Morgan has been taken into custody by police in Columbus, Mississippi. Yeah, apparently she uh, they were all hanging out, and uh, she banged these two boys, 10 and 14. Well, she's 17, so how does that work? She's facing charges of sexual battery and rape. And um, apparently a miracle performed sex acts in front of a group of children on Mother's Day. And then the children who witnessed this called the cops. And that's when her mom rounded up kids in the neighborhood to act as like little enforcers and go attack the others who spoke to the cops about the incident. Nice family. God. That's great. Let's check in on your Jordan Neely update. Remember, remember, the, remember the beloved Michael Jackson impersonator, Jordan Neely, who's now dead because he fucked around and threatened a bunch of people and was very threatening and scary and our former Marine... Uh, went ahead and took care of business. Yeah. Well, talk about a great family. Jern Neely's uncle who called for no plea deal for Daniel Penny. Daniel Penny, of course, is the one who choked Jordan Neely. He was all over the media saying, oh, this, this Daniel Penny, this is a white supremacy, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's now been arrested. <laughs> the uncle. 
And he ran from cops after being caught with several allegedly stolen credit cards. This was one day after he urged no plea deal for the former Marine accused of placing his nephew in a fatal chokehold. Christopher Neely was arrested late Monday night after running away from a police pickpocket team. Hmm. They have one of those, huh? This is near the Port Authority bus terminal in Manhattan. And he was wanted for a string of larcenies when he was approached. So he, was, he already had a warrant out for him. Fucking guy. What a family. And you believe, remember that clip I played like last week of the lawyer saying, oh, his family's devastated. I'm like, yeah, right. Get out of here. Oh, one more great American. I got to mention this guy. Did you guys, you guys have all seen this by now, probably on Instagram. But you guys know the it ain't much, but it's honest work meme. The farmer. You know, farmer stands there and says, it ain't much, but it's honest work. It became a meme. And that was an Ohio farmer who became a widely used meme. Unfortunately, he has passed away. That was 76-year-old Dave Brandt. He was driving home to his Fairfield County farm when his truck crashed. He did sadly pass away. And uh, just it happened in 2014. A Department of Agriculture article about his farming, some Reddit guy picked up the attached photo and just added the text. And uh, that just became the line. They don't even know if he actually said it. They just used his picture. But here's the thing. You know what? Uh, Brant was a Vietnam War veteran who earned three Purple Hearts in Vietnam. So once again, I'll tell you kids, don't judge a book by his cover because that uh, this kindly smiling farmer in the field of corn was fucking cutting heads off the gooks back in Nam, dude, <laughs> in like the late 60s. So, uh, and I know more than one guy who's like this. I, I personally know like some older gentlemen who are like retired school teachers and shit who are friggin' getting after it back in the uh, old Nam days. So, hey guys, I, I'm using the racial slur because that's what the, the people in Nam said, okay? Give me a break. All right, quickly, starting around out of time. Uh, did you guys see the video of the Dollar General worker running over the shoplifter with their Honda SUV? <laughs> he tried fleeing the store on a bike, and the employee was so pissed off that she gets in her car and she runs him down using the car and hits the bike. And I would play the audio, but it's it's all bleeped out. They're basically calling each other bitch back and forth, and she's calling him a piece of shit, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, good, good video. Go check that one out immediately if you can. What else? Do I have any other? There's not. There was not like too much good audio this week either, unfortunately. Uh, but I just want to make sure I get all the good ones. Okay, yeah, I pretty much have. But let's just do a quick few headlines, guys, before we go to the big finish. Uh, Texas. How about this? Texas panel has filed articles of impeachment against the state attorney general, and this is a Republican-led House committee, and they are trying to impeach the Republican attorney general, Ken Paxton, for, for a range of abuses that the committee's investigators said may have been crimes. So these are Republicans going after a Republican. So they're going to push for a vote on that. We'll see if it actually comes out. A what else? What did this guy do again? Oh, yeah. Um, let's go to this. Where is Bethel Park? It's in Pennsylvania. A police lieutenant, Bethel Park Police, has been indicted, appearing in federal court, 
And this is Lieutenant Blake Babin. He's in the custody of the FBI. According to court documents, Babin has been charged with transporting someone into the United States illegally. Court documents identify the undocumented immigrant at the center of the case as, quote, AMTH, end quote. Prosecutors have not divulged any information about the relationship between Babin and this person. We don't know if it's a man or a woman. Hmm, what are your theories? I'm th- what do you guys think, a bride? Sex bride? <laughs> that's, a, that's automatically what I'm going with. Uh, Black Lives Matter hemorrhaged cash in 2022, according to their tax documents. God, I am laughing at all the guilty white libs who gave these idiots their money because they feel bad about your stupid George Floyd. Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation ran an $8.5 million deficit and saw the value of its investment accounts plummet by nearly $10 million in the most recent tax year. The group took a 961,000 loss on a on a stock sale of 172,000. That means that on that tra- on that stock buy of 172,000 they lost, they, they took an 85% loss. Holy shit. Yeah, that's a lot. And that didn't stop them, though, from doling out seven-figure contracts to friends and families of the former executive director, Patrice Coolers, who once said charity financial disclosures were, quote, triggering and deeply unsafe, end quote. Yeah, BLM raised just $9.3 million in 2022 fiscal year. Just? But that's down 88% from what they took in the year prior. They have raised $90 million since George Floyd's death in the summer of 2020, and they've blown through about two-thirds of that, including $12 million for homes in Los Angeles and Toronto. <laughs> Kohler's brother, Paul Kohler's, he was a graffiti artist with no prior experience as a bodyguard. Well, he and his two companies raked in $1.6 million providing professional security services for Black Lives Matter in 2022. That's hilarious. Yeah, this is all a grift, you guys. And all you white women, you got took. You all got took. Uh, let me see here. This one, this one is weird. Here's the headline. Florida security guard allegedly raped a trans woman at the bar where he worked. 25-year-old Luigi Andre Cavani was arrested and charged with sexual battery. This is at the Sweet Caroline Karaoke Bar in Miami's Brickell neighborhood. So, um, this is the part. So, the victim reported the alleged assault to his authorities later that day. Cavani is saying the act was consensual. And... This is what the police report says. The investigating officer writes in the report, quote, he stated that they went by the bathrooms to a corner to make out and he touched her vagina over the clothing, end quote, right? That's what he writes in a report. But then he notes that the victim has yet to undergo gender affirming surgery. And then once in the bathroom, he said he pulled down the victim's pants and raped her. Okay, so this is a trans woman, so biological male, who has not had gender-affirming, has not had sex change surgery. So not only did he not touch her vagina over the clothing, but uh, this dude was having butt sex, it sounds like. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he... Does he know? Does he know that 
there was a penis there? Very, very confusing. Okay, guys, I'm running out of time, and I want to just get right to it. And uh, honestly, I got to get out of this. Honestly, I had to get an extended checkout, and like even now they're probably waiting for me to finish up. But let's go to Tom's River, New Jersey. A teacher at Tom's River Intermediate North has been charged with endangering the welfare of a child after he sent inappropriate photos of himself to a student. 48-year-old Kyle Banner is being held at the Ocean County Jail. And by the way, Banner is also a professor at Ocean County College. Administrators at the school were notified on April 23rd that Banner, who teaches 8th grade history, had posted pornographic photographs of himself to his public Twitter account. He was suspended from his teaching position the next day. They started looking into him. They determined that Banner had taken the pornographic photos of himself in his classroom at the elementary school and that his students had seen the pornographic photos on his public Twitter file. He had also sent inappropriate photos of himself to a student via Snapchat in October of 22. And then, yes, the kicker, detectives also recovered numerous images of Banner pleasuring himself in his classroom at Tom's Rivers Elementary School. And it was, I cannot fucking get over. Gotta go, go, go Google this guy's mugshot. It's fantastic. Kyle W. Banner jacking it in the classroom guys there goes the ipad holy shit onto my cheap hotel bed i really appreciate you guys putting up with me i know this week's wasn't the best but like i said i try to make every effort i can to get it to you i hope you appreciate it and please if you do go to patreon.com type in bk actual in the search bar consider but donating a buck or two and we should be able to get back to our regularly scheduled program next week, and I'll be far better prepared and have better stuff for you. Uh, yeah, it was just not there was just not a lot going on this week as far as good audio or stories, and I was rushed anyway. So, anyway, I hope you got some out of that, guys. As always, send me your important stories on Instagram at bkactual or on Twitter at bravo kilo actual. And that's all I got. I'll see you next week. Yeah.